Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the Stacks. This is Jay. And I'm the Shanna Killer. Mm. Uh, Wait, no. The, yeah, I don't I know about be, that one. The, no, uh, I should be the Shanna, not the one who kills the Shanna. <laughs> uh, uh, for our... Stone Killer. <laughs> yeah, crazy movie. Yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about that second, but uh, first up, we're talking about 1972's Jailhouse 41, the uh, second in our Female Prisoner Scorpion series, which, uh, great, like, you know, at this least movie, as good as the first. Freaking, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go a little bit further and say that while I did like the first one a lot, I'd say the difference between this one and that one is like the difference between the first two Yokai Monsters movies. Right, right. Uh, like, I, I would put them about equal personally, but I do think they're like i i can totally see why this one may work better uh i i feel like they both have different strengths but yeah True. there's just yeah. so much with this one that's great well this uh, one feels like a like a fairy tale kind of like it doesn't there's really a lot of feel that. like it takes place on earth although uh, neither we'll, we'll did get the into first it. i would say I, I i would say that the first one often has this whole thing of uh sort of uh, an unreality uh, both of them have uh, both of them were designed by the same dude who does an interview on the aero disc of this. Uh, and he he talks about how, like the jail, the the prison, and the prison uniforms were inspired by Auschwitz. Oh, so the the way they're designed, the the design of the costumes uh, for the prisoners, the prison uniforms with the stripes, uh, and the exteriors with the barbed wire and stuff are directly inspired by that. So like that that sort of it's like That's, this uh, well yeah because it's to make the the most nightmarish jail possible so well, it's this really yeah, okay. <laughs> eerie space. Uh, so this uh, is uh, directed by Shunya Ito again, who also directed the first one. The first one was his first film ever, so uh, oh, wow. you know it's uh, uh, th this one shows some development in terms of style. You know he's he's able to do more things like that one shot that we really loved. Or that that we talked about, uh, not shot but sequence with the flashback. Yeah, where where she's like where like she's making love with the shitty marijuana cop. Yeah, and it's like got the 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 sheet billowing in the wind, and then the freaking revolving door. Oh, yeah, so like good. a revolving stage and everything, and all yeah. these other people come in, and you have different lights, and the uh, the the floor lights up, and you're she's shot th from beneath, and all that. Yeah, like. That, there are a couple scenes like that in this one that sort of like hone that style and use it kind of it's it's not just one sequence there's a bunch of different sequences that use it more sparingly i guess yeah yeah um there there is i think a lot more of that in this one like mm -hmm. of course the scene with the curse is the big one but everything involving the witch oh there's witches and magic there's witches and magic uh she and gets ghost powers and and especially the scene in the tunnel is is the one that most strikes me in in that regard. But like we'll talk about that one later. So, mm -hmm. uh, Maiko Kaji, of course, back as Scorpion. Uh, as you were saying before we started recording, uh, she also is known as uh, she she is uh, she plays Lady Snowblood. Another which I just found out like thirty seconds ago, yeah. or thirty seconds before we started. Yeah, very iconic character as well. Uh, so Scorpion has been in solitary confinement since being recaptured at the end of the last movie. We didn't see that, but she's been in solitary for quite a while. I think it's like supposed to be two years. Um, at least a year, but it might be two. 
Oh, mm-hmm. oh, first, very important. We have the this work is this is a work of fiction disclaimer, but it's worded a little differently from your usual one. It's like there is no connection to reality whatsoever. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, I, I feel like the first one had a similar thing that may have been I a, think little it bit, did. a little bit cheekier. Oh, Plum. Yeah, Plum has no connection to reality either. Yeah, she does. That's that's a cat's way. So we, the opening credits, we have the foolish song of vengeance. Uh, while oh, she's <laughs> yeah. Well, while she's uh, scraping at the floor with this stolen spoon until it becomes a shank. I thought she was trying to dig out a tunnel, but no, she's mm. turning it into she's cheating at the game of knifey spoony. It's the long con. Scorpion is always playing the long con. Uh, oh, yes. So, like, of, of course, she she is scraping this at the floor with a spoon with her teeth because her legs and arms are tied and she's just in like this wet divot in the floor. We, we saw a bit of these in the first one, the ridiculous solitary confinement cells of this prison. Yeah, in the first one, it's where she <laughs> seduced the female guard slash spy so hard that it broke her brain. Mm-hmm. But, like, here we just have her in the thing, like, fully alone. There's no one on the other side yeah. of the cell. There's no one ever with her. So it's it, it kind of highlights how torturous <laughs> this is. Like, no other purpose than to torture, that there's just, like a divot in the floor for water to collect that they tie, uh-huh. they put the tied up prisoner in. Yeah. Yeah. Like, ooh. <laughs> and, but the whole time though, like she's got the spoon in her teeth and she, she's doing like a, gr- uh, she's doing a, the grudge look at the camera. And yeah. she's like, she's yeah. not like, She's not like, oh, I'm so broken. Oh, woe is me. It's it's like the whole time her face is like, I'm going to kill somebody soon. It's, like I said, it's the long con. She's got plans for uh, every moment. And like, she's not trying to get out. She's waiting until she can cause someone who wronged her harm. Mm-hmm. Well, she <laughs> and they're in here. Quick. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. So she's being let out of solitary just for a day. Uh by our, our one-eyed warden back from the previous one, Goda. Uh, who gets a significant villainous competence upgrade in this movie because he, he, he basically goes from being like the Elmer Fudd of uh, the last one, who's – his whole thing is just to get like shit on. He's like the, the Dorian Gray portrait of the prison. Right. Or, or like the rickety cricket from uh, Always Sunny. Yeah, I thought yeah. that was going to be his whole thing. He just has to get more and more maimed all the time while just being the Elmer Fudd that she picks on while she's but, going for her real revenge. Right. But he's been upgraded to main villain. And yeah, he's, so, he's also he's, gotten an actual in-world promotion. Like he's yes. leaving this jail behind. And that's why he's like come to talk to her about this. So I guess – He's been doing just a great job running this fucking awful place, right? Yeah, by not letting her talk to any of the to anyone ever. Well, I guess he's just doing a really good job of crushing souls. But we'll yeah. we'll talk about that when we get to the actual <laughs> assembly. But like, so, uh, she, there there's this important dignitary who's visiting, so she's going to be let out for one day. And I I really like this shot composition when he's talking to her and telling her. Uh, all, all of this stuff. So, like, 
it's it's got her on the left side of the frame but like the left frame is the floor mm-hmm. like where she's in the divot and like the warden and the two guards are standing kind of sideways shining a blue spotlight on her and kind of into uh you know us as the the audience yeah yeah from like on top of like a a staircase or a ramp or elevated somehow anyway mm-hmm. and then partly it's because there 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 is a declivity in the floor where they put her and so they fire hose her down for just like an incredibly long time <laughs> it's an extended extended sequence scorpion uh, puts a lotion on her skin or else she gets the hose again uh it it kind of does have that sort of feel like she's in a pit. It's dank and she's just getting hosed down. Uh, and you know, she's by the guy out. who I still think is Elmer Fudd at this point. I didn't realize he was going to be competent. Oh yeah, no, no, not at all in this movie. So he's not Elmer Fudd here. Yeah, he's, and, he's and, almost kind of like he's learned lessons from her. He doesn't. He just shows up menacingly and doesn't talk as much. Well, it's completely it, except he does get in her face. Yes. And, and it's the big mistake he makes, although she's probably planning to get him anyway. Oh, but she's, she's, like, she's of course going to get him. I, I think this is what kind of pushes her towards specifically what she does. And she's like, he, he's saying, like, you're never going to get out of here. I'm going to see to it personally that you're staying here forever because of all of these things. And, and like he leans down and gets in her face and like, but it's really just because of what you did to my eye. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's the eye thing, though. Really just the eye thing. I mean, all of that other stuff, those are crimes you did. I can use those as leverage to keep you here, but it's the eye. It's just the eye. Everything else, you were just doing your job as a criminal. I was just doing my job as a guard. But this, that's personal. I don't like that. Yeah. Uh, So... Uh, he he's trying to make her mad, but she's too smart for him still. She's biding time. She she's playing the, the long game. She knows where she can get the most impact when it's fully public that she ruins this guy. So, <laughs> well, apparently after what happens, he's still getting his promotion. But uh, I guess I like <laughs> you'd think it would have put a bit of a damper on it, but maybe it had already gone think. through. Uh, maybe so. The big ceremony. We've got the prison ba- the the prison band playing. Uh, Awfully, <laughs> so bad, so no passion. Bad. It's it's not yeah. even that they're like, bad. It's, it's not, that they, yeah, they are. They're unhappy. Yeah, they're they, they like don't... visibly displeased to be there, and they do not feel any music in their souls. And the guy, the dignitary, is like so, oh, you've done a good job here. These people are all here to atone. You're all very naughty women. Make sure you atone real good. Well, like one of the first things he says to Goda is like, oh, the prisoners look so happy. It's like, they do not, sir. They do not, sir. <laughs> oh, my no. good God. Like He, he kind of reminds me of like a young George Takei. Kind of. See, like what I was thinking of was John Cleese in um, uh, in uh, Time Bandits when <laughs> he is greeting all of the dwarfs and as Robin Hood, he's like, ah, oh, so you you steal, do you? Oh, that's quite fabulous. How long have you been a thief? And they go, oh, five foot four. <laughs> or no, it's like four foot one. Fascinating. Amazing. Four foot one. Wow, that's quite a long time. Uh <laughs> 
But yeah, it's like, like he he patronizingly goes down the line of all of the prisoners and he's patting their shoulders like, oh, yes, you're here to atone for your crimes. You're doing very well. Just yes, keep it up. Contributing to society. You'll be <laughs> free in no time at this rate. And like all of them are just giving him so much side eye. He is completely oblivious to everything. And then they then they bring up Scorpion and everyone's just kind of like trying to hold in their smirks like that scorpion is gonna well, be good it's just like every head in the place turns and she's like oh yeah and she makes a real big display of like oh i'm so weak mm-hmm. well, <laughs> I barely stand which she might not be faking I mean, yeah. let's let's be real she's been down there a long time she has Do you think but... she ever had those shackles off at any point probably not but we're about to see her uh show that well, she is not so weak so yeah. she is making a show of it to at least some extent. And the warden's like, that's our most dangerous prisoner. Look what I did to her. She's broken now. She's a dangerous element, but you, you don't want to talk to her. But like notably our main bad prisoner, number one uh, later, uh, she's like, she sees Scorpion's like that Scorpion. Well, I don't think she's so great. I wouldn't have got caught if I escaped. Well, we find out that's, technically true i mean she doesn't get caught no no she yeah. gets caught she she literally dies in she does get in, in yeah, custody right. yeah but like so go is telling all of this stuff about scorpion to the dignitary and she i i think she pretends to faint or something <laughs> like that yeah and Gota is smart enough here he's like don't get too close <laughs> and the the dignitary is like no 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 like, look she's fainted and he's just continuing to babble platitudes and go to just like he's he's not too concerned about this dignitary i guess because it's like oh you know you don't want to get too close she might go after you if she has the strength and he starts laughing at his own joke he's like oh i've so beaten her (laughs) yeah and then there's karmic retribution immediately (laughs) (laughs) so so what did she do she gets him and she gets go to the cheek with the spoon she she leaps through the air and she stabs through his glasses, like directly in the middle of the glasses, in the eye, like towards the eye that is still existing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she was trying to gouge his other eye out, but the shank goes through the glass, but just cuts the cheek. She cuts like a big gouge in his cheek, though. Yeah. And hilariously, amazingly, <laughs> the dignitary just falls over and very fully shits himself. Well... He doesn't even do it right away. There's like a long shot and it looks like he's holding like like a ceremonial sword that he might have. And it's like, is this going to be like the great, like a big duel right at the beginning? And nope. <laughs> he falls back. He just like, he falls back. Like he he's so shocked. Like there's a beat and then he falls over and then there's like another beat and he starts like shaking and waving his arms and just like you you see his trousers brown with liquid <laughs> and then like it pools up <laughs> and everyone and he's is just killing themselves laughing the whole prison's like oh my god this the band begins so playing good. circus music the band starts having fun is like hey this is what we've been missing all this time prison riot time Although the guards kind of instantly restore order. Yeah. Like, they, they, they start shooting like, okay, okay, we've had our fun. <laughs> uh, yeah. So we move yeah. on to punishment. Goda orders 
punishment. Uh, they're they're dragging heavy stones around. It's like the stone cutters. Scorpion is like tied to the oh, stone yeah. of victory. But she she's tied to a cross. Well, she's got both. She's tied to a cross, and they have the stone of victory chained oh, right. to her that she has to drag behind with the cross. <laughs> and the warden says to the other two guards, "It's like, hey." You know, if you punish her too much, you're just going to make her a martyr for the other ones. Really? You think so? Yeah, she. You, you've, you're crucifying her. I've, well, yeah, have, have you maybe seen like that as being a sort of symbolic thing that has been an issue in the past? I don't know. Really? Crucifying people can sometimes make them, uh, make them into a symbol that can inspire billions of people over thousands of years? Hmm. And like... It, it, it seems like he is taking the smart path, except then he is like, I've got an idea. We're <laughs> going to humiliate her. her we'll, we'll make it worse. And I sort of get it. And it sort of does work in the movie, but it, it plays sort of weird, I guess. I wish it didn't work. Yeah. And so there, there's a thing about this that we'll, we'll talk about after when, when we get to like how it works. But so he has these four guards dressed dress up like put on stocking masks to uh like pin her down while she's still on a cross uh-huh. notably uh and and one of them sexually assaults her i i think just one of them maybe all of them I, they show I feel one like of them. at least i i feel like the intention is that they're going to take turns and the warden's like basically saying hey yeah this is my gift to you before i leave because I'm still getting that promotion like the uh, like the guy shitting himself just didn't happen. Right. And like one of them, I, I mean, one of them specifically is very cheerfully like, ha ha ha, I got lucky today uh, later on. But none of the others say it. And it's just the one who we saw doing it. So I'm not sure. But like it could go either way. Well, and there's only yeah. one. Yeah, there, there's only this one prisoner who's even at all upset by it at the time like most of them are just like watching without expression yeah um yeah uh, number six <laughs> okay Prisoner she's number the one six. who's kind of sort of becomes an ally a bit yeah uh, like i guess she i would say that she is kind of always an ally there, there's really no point at which she is she's against scorpion that's true uh but like notably during the thing, we we cut we we like zoom in to Scorpion's eyes, and then we see her meeting Goda's eyes, and like looking is like, oh yeah, I know it's you, you jerk. I know what you're trying to do here, and it's not gonna work. <laughs> oh yeah, and and like you see the assault happening through the reflection in Goda's sunglasses. Mm-hmm. Like it's like she just marked him for death. Oh, completely. I mean, he was probably going to die anyway, but now he's got to die before he gets transferred. Well, not necessarily, but no. he, he's no, but he's, he's being transferred right now. She's not oh, yeah, going to right. get to him when he, before he's transferred. He's gone. No, she's not. So they're coming back from the quarry that day, and their driver is that lead rapist guard. And he's like, ah, yeah, I got, I got lucky today. Ha, 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 ha. And... There, all of there, all of the women are in the back. Uh, the there's six of them plus Scorpion, and five of them just get really angry and they all stomp her. Please, go ahead. I don't like this because they are upset that she got raped and 
just took it while she was tied to the cross and the boulder. Yeah. And like, what the fuck was she going to do? Right. So th- this is something that's discussed in the special features. Uh, Kirla Janice has a really great essay on the disc, uh, sort of going over feminist interpretations of the movie. Okay, I didn't get to that part of the in the interview yet. I started it too late. Yeah, so she she talks about the attack as sort of reflecting their anxiety over lack of control in a space where they have very little of it. And her being this icon of resistance, her falling in this way and being completely unable to control it in any way is kind of a blow to the rest of them who kind of are looking up to her as this sort of uh, figure of resistance and like there's a need for that to be pure i get it but i don't like it no yeah totally uh, but that's sort of a, a a prison psychology thing that's pretty hard to understand if you're not oh, well yeah okay yes it. that's fair that's that's fair i def- have not been in prison before so i don't really and also we find out that most of these other women actually do kind of deserve to be in prison Maybe not yeah. this prison. Certainly the lead one. She's yeah, pretty she's, bad. She's uh, like a bad person. But like there, there is still sympathy for her within the movie, which I think is really interesting. And especially sort of how it develops the way it looks at all of them. Like all, all of them have done very bad things, but or most of them have done very bad things. But a lot of them are justified. And some of them just like you can sort of see that they they ended there through uh, a set of circumstances like yeah obviously well, girl number six is pretty pure her her uh-huh. she and, and we'll we'll sort of talk about all the what, what got all of them there when we have the song about it but uh th- there's this one girl who is like screaming and crying like no stop don't uh and ultimately scorpion is playing dead and the girl who's upset starts screaming it's like, she's dead. Scorpion is dead. Stop the truck. <laughs> and the car's like, uh, uh-oh, uh, Scorpion's <laughs> dead? Wait, are That's... we happy about this or sad about this? It's like, this How could are be we a problem. Feel? Yeah. Maybe and, I should check. And, of course, so it's the rapist guy who, who goes in, so he gets to uh, die real quick. He, he oh, needs yes. to get his justice really fast. Yeah. Uh, Scorpion is not dead. She chokes him to death with her... Uh, with her uh, restraints. Yeah. Well, really cool shot, too. Oh, yes. Because, like, it's on a camera rig that's attached to her. So, like, it's this spinning shot of her strangling him from, like, a camera, like, mounted on one of them. Nice. <laughs> Super cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think prisoner number one disarms the other guard and beats him yeah, with I a think gun. She gets, yeah, she gets the gun. Yeah. Um, she, Cause she, she has it the rest right of the, the movie. Yeah. Oh yeah. She's not letting go of that. Uh, and, and so we get to go to end the troops rolling up to find the aftermath of this before we, we, we don't see what they do, but you see the aftermath. And it <laughs> oh my God. Uh, I wasn't ready for that shot <laughs> with the, the rapist guard. <laughs> yeah. The rapist guard is, <sighs> I don't know if I can say it. <laughs> so he's, he's, his genitals have been mutilated severely. We, we don't really see to what extent, but there doesn't seem to be a lot left there. It but feels like, like well, there's a hole. And... Yeah. <laughs> and he's been tied by his bloody crotch to a tree, nude, 
uh, except it, for boots and cap. Yeah, it, it, it looks like he's like impaled on the tree. Yeah, yeah. And, and like the tree is, and it looks like the tree is his dick. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and he, he's just like uh, stiff with it, with like looking <laughs> up into the sky. His his eyes looking straight out with like a look of terror. It's it's yeah. awesome. And the other guy is just his legs are sticking upside down out of the burning truck. (laughs) (laughs) Like they set it on fire and just dropped him in there. So the legs are sticking out. (laughs) Great. Great. So now they're running across. This is part of like the surreal otherworldliness of it. Like how I, Hmm. why I feel like it doesn't quite, take place on planet earth they're they're at like this uh town that's half like a ghost town that's half buried in ash yeah like, it's like, like a volcano erupted or, or like a landslide or something just this yeah. this black stuff filling up half of the town and like you you just see parts of power poles sticking out of it and stuff it's awesome it's so, so cool. cool it's like like it it gives like the whole thing this Mad Max sort of vibe a little bit because they they've got like the these ponchos too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it's just a real creepy atmosphere. I, I like it, it's a ghostly town. It does sort of set the stage for this becoming a little bit more magical because it very quickly does. It does, yeah, um, yeah. They find shelter in one of the abandoned houses. So, yeah, the, I really like this row of, like, weed overgrown shacks that there's just, like, this two rows of shacks with an alley between them and it's just all completely overgrown. Yeah, like, when did this village that has power poles in it get destroyed? How, how long know. has it been like this? That's that's the thing. I, I can't figure out when or where this movie takes place. It feels like it could be in, like, a Clockwork Orange dystopian future. Yeah. Or, but then, like, or like a prison planet, but then you get your 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 tour buses coming through, right? And it's just like you know, seventies vehicles uh, and yeah. people in seventies clothing, and they're all pretty normal. And it it, it is, yeah, it, it feels like it's very it's a post-apocalyptic uh, world for the girls. It's a post-apocalyptic world that exists within our current world that is just like screened from the rest of reality because like prison is like i I would say especially in japan and in that time the the prison system is very separate from the rest of society oh yeah probably uh or or at least you know uh pleasant society or whatever you know the the people who are uh mainstream and that that's like a real dichotomy that fuels this movie like there there is a serious antagonism between them Uh Uh and it's like when you see something from the say outside world in the same scene with like something from the prison world, it, oh, the clash is like it's glaring. Right, and when they they share a scene, things tend to become surreal because we start seeing both sides through the lens of the other in in sort of weird and surreal ways. Like especially when we get to that tunnel thing. Yeah. So uh, they they shelter in these weed overgrown shacks. Uh, and and we we start to introduce our characters and the one character introduces herself and her crimes before the witch is introduced and introduces everyone else. Yeah, she has a real problem with the fact that Scorpion 
just stares. stares. Yeah. It, she's like, what are you staring at? Stop looking at me. <laughs> I'm going to tell you my dramatic origin story now that you won't stop looking at me. <laughs> I killed both my children because I was that pissed off about my husband being unfaithful. The first one, how did she kill the first one? So the two-year-old, she drowned. Right. And the her other unborn one. baby, she yeah, she was pregnant and she stabbed her unborn baby to death. Uh, and we'll, we'll sort of see that later on. And it plays a little different from the, the way she tells it, I would yeah, say. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, like, she shows the scar. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, she... Yeah, she she's like trying to start a fight. I like I don't I don't really get her deal. <laughs> I don't know what you did, Scorpion, but I'm more badass than you. I because I did this. Like she's a broken person. Like she's oh, clearly yeah, she's, someone who is extremely is damaged. Nuts. Well, she even says it's like yeah, that's right. I'm not a human. I'm a beast or an animal or something like that. Right. She should have damaged written on her forehead in like a really nice cursive script, maybe. Well, that was on the uh, guards' to-do list before right, this right. all happened. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. The the way she acts, I kind of feel like she would go for that. Like, that's something she would choose. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> yeah. But so she's making her big dramatic statement, and she, like, lifts up her shirt, her, her uh, like, uh, prison garb to show off the, the scar. Yeah. And the wind blows the door open, and they hear someone chanting, and everyone goes out. So there's this house that's just literally shaking itself apart in front of them. And it just collapses away to reveal this old woman, this witch, who is just sitting in a lotus position and chanting. Chanting curses with a knife. With a knife, yeah. That knife's going to become important. That knife is important. Uh, and so they're like, okay, we'll we'll hang with this witch that's cool <laughs> and so like we got this shot of like everybody sitting around the witch and she's like talking about how she well yeah she's mumbling slash chanting and like the camera's just going around we see two of the prisoners having sex in a corner um scorpions doing like breaking bamboo and doing something with that yeah, and, like, it's this spinning shot showing her, like, holding the knife and hovering over all of them and looking at them while chanting. And it's very strange. And so, 34 minutes in, it's time to introduce our characters. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, almost all of our characters. Well, pretty much. So, <laughs> I, I love the first line of her. So, it's the witch's song. And yeah. she starts, women commit crimes because of men. So, like, okay. this is sort of the philosophy of the movie. Uh, it's mm. it's that uh, these crimes are due to the patriarchy and the way women are mistreated in society. And that is sort of uh, their origin story in all cases. Yeah. So, number one, we've got our evil child killer lady who is just she is the antagonist, essentially, other than. Yeah, she's Goda. like, yeah, she's sort she... of the immediate antagonist, but she's willing to work with Scorpion at times. But she also fully intends to kill Scorpion at some point, and she yeah. will have to die. Yeah. Uh, number two killed her second husband because he was abusing her son from her previous marriage. And she's also a pretty important character. We, we have a lot of stuff with her. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, number three, we have someone who poisoned the wife of her lover. Now, I want to talk a little bit about how this is shot because it's just like. Oh, yeah, totally. Like this the is candles. Yeah, the candles, they're like all in black. You just see the witch uh, singing as like as it just shows each person up against black, like looking like sitting still like they're in a trance as they just move towards the camera as she's yeah, so telling their like, story. There, there's a row of red candles along the bottom of the screen, and then there's each of them. So like all seven, I think, at the start. Maybe it's just six, and uh, Scorpion sure. is – because Scorpion is – anytime she's shown in the witch's vision, she's still like breaking the bamboo, and she's not going to be just like sitting in a lotus position in a yeah. kimono-looking uh, chill, which all of the rest of them do. Yeah, because so, well, they're uh, getting cursed right now. Well, I don't even know if that's that. She's just kind of – singing their song she's kind of on their side ultimately okay uh, maybe i misinterpreted that i, 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 I felt like she was putting a curse on them because she i feel like the curse she puts on is after the people that's that are after them very shortly maybe okay okay and she passes on her energy to scorpion but we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that in a bit but yeah sorry we're we're still meeting our characters so uh the the number three poisoned the wife of her lover uh, and we have a little bit with her later. Uh, number four had just a bunch of sugar daddies, and they all found out about it, and they all killed each other. <laughs> I don't think that's her fault. I mean, I I don't like. I guess she was picked up on prostitution or something. Because yeah, I don't I don't know. I I I, that I do feel like seem like a crime though. Right. Well, I mean, prostitution. Well, you can turn anything into a crime if you just want to fuck someone over in jail. Yeah, and I think it's number three and four who were the ones having sex. It's either three and four, or it could have been five as one of them. But, like, I know it's not one, two, or three. I don't think it's six, because six it's is It's definitely the not ally. six. Yeah. Uh, so six is, yeah, the ally. She killed her father for molesting her. Oh, I missed number five, who is an arsonist. Just like Fern Oh, right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I start fires. Yeah, she, she's the arsonist. Uh, yeah, and number six, uh, yeah, her she was being molested and she killed her father. So, like, th this is why she was very upset with mm -hmm. what was going on with Scorpion and was pretty consistently stayed on her side. And then it's like, add the story of the last one. And it's like number seven, and it just, like, she comes up and, like, she's still breaking bamboo and staring straight at the camera. And it's like, uh, and then there's this other one. We're done. Yeah. <laughs> it's know. like, no, she's scary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, so uh, there's a couple of theories that I've got. One is that I guess I wasn't paying close enough attention to the, all of their backstories and thought that, it was, that they were all as bad as number one and that she was cursing them, but chose not to curse Scorpion because she's only killed people who deserve it. Yeah, like, that's her it. thing. She doesn't kill innocent people. Right. Yeah, no, I don't buy that. Cause, like, but, I, no, I don't, I don't either now. Yeah, because most of them... There's really only two of them who kind of really did bad stuff, and most of them are kind of understandable yeah. in certain ways. Yeah. Like, the one who poisoned her lover's wife, that's pretty bad. That's, that's <laughs> not cool, man. That's not what you do. Yeah, but, like, uh, of course, you know, there, there are various degrees to which they've been driven to these things, and we don't get their origins. We don't know why they did them, and I, I feel mm. that that's really significant as we're told who, just – 
what crimes they committed. We don't get their names. She doesn't give their names. No, actually, yeah, that's right. Nobody we, – we get Scorpion's name, which – but that, not from her. Yeah, I, I have some thoughts about that that we'll, we'll talk about when we get later on. But So we cut to the next morning, and the guards – have been tracking them. They they have dogs and they track them down this cool landslide hill. Yeah. And Goda is meeting with them at the entrance and like uh, with a carload of guards and they all head into the overgrown shacks like in force. And uh, the the dog is caught in the bamboo trap that we saw a scorpion making. So it, I I didn't quite get to see it. Was it like a bamboo guillotine? I think it was just like it it basically acted that way. Like it it shoots up and trap the dog and like kills it by like it because it was just stuck through it yeah like not caught or anything <laughs> yeah but yeah i just i just love that that she's just making that thing through the curse song mm-hmm. and and we see her just sort of testing it out a little bit right at the end and it's like huh i wonder what that's gonna do and then cut to next yeah. morning we see it happen mm-hmm. and so the the prisoner's escaping through the forest it's such a cool scene uh, and and when they're going through it first, just this beautiful, colorful fall foliage. And it's very heightened because it's not real. Right. Because it's necessarily art designed for the way the scene goes. Mm-hmm. So the witch is dying and it's unclear why maybe they just kind of happen along at just the right time for a witch to transfer energy. Maybe she was just sort of waiting there for someone with the power of Scorpion to take on her own power. Maybe she's waiting for Scorpion specifically. Maybe. And because like the and most she's of glowing move on. purple. Well, first she like she doesn't start glowing purple until after she dies. Oh, OK. Because she she like talks to Scorpion. You know, she's chanting. It's like, I'm going to curse the guards who are following you. And then she dies and she starts glowing purple while she's laying on the forest floor. Scorpion takes the knife. And the fucking wind picks up. And it just like covers her in leaves. She's covered and consumed by all these leaves. And then like and Scorpion's go hair goes like like Super Saiyan in the wind. Although this pre oh wow, this is even before Dragon Ball. Holy shit. Yeah, well before that, yeah. This is seventies. And so the the leaves blow away and it just like she's not there anymore. And yeah. it completely barren. Like all of the trees all of the ground, like all of the leaves are gone. It's just all barren and black. This, this looks like something out of like, it looks like something out of a samurai movie mm-hmm. with like the leaves and all that. Well, it's like very wuxia. Yeah. Well, yeah. Wuxia, wuxia or samurai or they both kind of do that. Mm-hmm. But yeah. And then we have that very intense shot of Scorpion's face, just staring directly into camera. She's got the knife. Her hair is just, blowing wildly in the wind and yeah i feel that this is her gaining the witch's power these ghost powers because she has magical powers later on oh she's got magic now (laughs) (laughs) she there is no magic in the first one i don't think but she (laughs) you see her teleport Mm -hmm. Uh, and she does something else that's really cool that we're going to talk about so the the prisoners shelter in this abandoned mountain hut and we, we've got the number three, I think, the poisoner, who's like, she's so excited. She's going to get back to the, that guy she loves. It's like she killed that lady for. And it's like, I'm I'm just jazzed to get back to him. She's singing my ding-a-ling. Oh, yeah. 
<laughs> yep. <laughs> they find a mirror and they all fight over it. Uh, Until number one is like, I hate mirrors, smash! Yeah. Well, like, someone, like, pokes it in her face and makes her look at herself, and she's not into that. Oh, well, yeah. It's more understandable, I suppose. that makes sense. And, of course, number two sneaks away because she wants to see her son. Who, uh, you know, she killed that guy because he was abusing. So, like, there's very clear things that drive each of them. Now, Even I if was they a don't little necessarily... unclear, was that actually her son, or did she just decide this child was going to be her son now? No, it, it's actually her son. That's her oh, parent. Oh, it is her son. Oh, okay. Oh, that, oh, okay, it is. I thought yeah. it was just a random family that No, because that's why they bring them out later to uh, use as bait again. Because, like, <laughs> that's why the guards are already there. They're waiting for okay. Oh, that, okay, that makes a lot more sense. But, like, the, yeah, so the... It seems like we've like weirdly transported to the like the Tokugawa shogunate era because they're all wearing like the the peasant robes or not right. peasant robes, but like, you know. Yeah. And it's it's sort of weird because it, it doesn't seem like how did she get there from this random mountain hut that they're hiding out in near the prison? It's kind of crazy that they just she immediately found her way there already somehow. Uh, and like, was part it just of the outside surreal, the prison or I guess, or I, I, I guess. feel like for me, I think of it as sort of the surreal nature of this prison is that it's, it exists outside of time and space and that these are just uh, bad women who are kept here. And it, it's sort of like a hell kind of thing where, you know, they're from different times and they oh, can I... sort of, sort of accept, uh, once they're outside of the prison, they can access their own times and places. Yeah, well, number one feels like she comes from a different period of history, too, when we see Absolutely. her story. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, yeah, she's she, the, the, the guards are waiting there because they know who they know what she was in there for and they know what drives her. And, you know, she she shows up. <laughs> yeah, she shows up. <laughs> And they're awful. <laughs> they they beat her up in front of her parents and child. Oh, uh, yeah, she, they, they toss the child aside. They, yeah, they, they pick up the child and throw it across the room because they want her to rat on the others. Yeah. And she and, just and, leaves crying. She doesn't give them up. Yeah, and it's uh, this this scene is shot like like just a series of stills of like. Like we see one of the guard with his boot on her back, one of the kid flying through the air, mm-hmm. um, the parents like horrified, horrified. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and their ordeal's not over either. <laughs> no. So she she they allow her to leave because they know they can follow her. One of the guards follows her. Mm-hmm. But of course, Scorpion had followed number two. And so she follows the guard and we don't see the following. We just we 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 see Scorpion returning to the shack with the guard at knife point. <laughs> like we don't need to see her overtake him. That is easy pickings. Yeah. <laughs> uh, one of the prisoners chops him directly in the face with a hatchet. <laughs> Immediately. <laughs> yeah. And it does not kill him. He manages to wrestle the gun away from number one and Haru, which is either number three or four. I think it's one of the two lovers. Yeah, she gets shot in the struggle over the gun. Mm-hmm. And number one gets the gun back and executes the guard instantly. Just three yeah. to the chest. Yeah, yeah. Is and this then, the one where the other guard goes on the spinning thing? 
No, that's a while away. That's, okay. that's the end. <laughs> oh, that's the end. Oh, okay. <laughs> that is like the second to last scene. Uh, they they go to go through a forest in the rain, and uh, the the guards find the hut. They find the dead guard hung upside down with his head in a fire. <laughs> <laughs> Just for fun. They'd already <laughs> killed him. I love that they take the effort. Like, they're on the run, but it's like, well, we got to take the time to pose these bodies just right, you know? Well, like, it, it's sort of returning to my theory of this as being jail. You kind of have to kill a demon a certain way. <laughs> and oh, and yeah. it's like the, the guards are all sort of lesser demons who are patrolling this place. You, know, you, you got to put them in sort of a, a hellish tableau. You know, the whole thing does kind of feel like uh, like hell as it's portrayed in Preacher a little bit. Yeah. Uh, and, and like just the way it ends is very uh, expressionist in that sense and sort of like this uh, – the, the way it ends sort of breaks time. Uh, but – so they, they shelter in a graveyard and uh, Haru dies and the rain turns red. This is another thing they do a couple times, which is really cool. Oh, yeah, right. Um, I, I didn't catch it when the rain turned red, but I caught it the second time something mm-hmm. turned red. The second uh, time that was, was very big. noticeable. Yeah. And so we oh, cut yeah, no, to... I remember now. Okay, yes. <laughs> so we cut to our bus full of dead mates, our drunk <sighs> partiers. Oh, every single one of these people is, like, <laughs> is going to die. Yeah, the, these are our... Uh, sacrificial civilians and like they're stopped by police and they warn them there's these women escapees about and there's this group of vacationing salarymen and they're like oh that's great oh i hope we run across those women oh they haven't seen men in a while blah, blah, blah. We're and there's this to rape them yeah there's this one dude who is just like loudly talking about how great it was committing war crimes <laughs> It, it, yeah, like oh god, it's it was it was a war, wasn't it? But yeah, yeah, and and like they're sexually assaulting the the tour guide. Yeah, they're they're like just being completely horrible. It's like okay, we're we're gonna see these people get their retribution. It takes longer <laughs> than I thought it would. It takes quite a while. Well, they they kind of have to go through some torture themselves. Uh-huh. All of them, and especially these three guys. So number six, Rose, uh, she she goes away to pee. She's spotted first by a couple children. Who are on their way to help Gamera fight whatever kaiju he's up against this time. I mean, I, I guess they would have been, except I think they're kids who are on this bus, so I don't think they get there. Hmm. Maybe <laughs> not. Uh, Gamera goes free that time, or uh, Zegra, let's say. Zegra, uh, sure. And then there's these the three drunken revelers, the the salarymen from the bus, and they spot her and they rape and murder her. Uh-huh. And then they're like, uh we weren't supposed to kill her. Um, let's just toss her over the waterfall, I guess. And the prisoners are looking for Rose already, and they see them dump the body. And this is that moment where the waterfalls all turn to blood. Yeah. Like just a blood waterfall, but it's over time. Like first it's just one side of it turns red and then it slowly goes across the whole thing. It's because it was a practical effect. They actually just put a bunch of dye in the waterfall to make it all turn to blood. It's super cool. It looks amazing. They, they use a practical effect. That's that was cool. a practical. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's 
<laughs> the cool. 70s, they, they couldn't really do it with computers or anything then. Yeah, it looks amazing. Yeah, well, all right. That's cool. I like yeah. it. Yeah, so the prisoners see them, and they chase them down and take them hostage immediately, and we're kind of cutting hard onto all of them on the bus together. Uh, yeah, and these, these, these guys are being treated like, well... Like how you would expect these women to treat somebody who just killed one of their own. They, they are naked. They are tied up. They are getting stomped on. But the women are also being terrible to the normal passengers. Some of them, uh, yeah. There are a few. Yeah. And, like, I, I do like them just, like, they strip off the drunk guy's clothes. They're beating them. They're tearing up the clothes so they couldn't even possibly put them back on later. Yeah. And, and we just have... Matsu, like at the front, completely motionless, just pointing the knife in the general direction of the driver while staring at them doing all this. Yep, she's like she's taking it in, but she's not participating. This is not her bag. But like yeah, we, no. we kind of see it through her point of view and like her uh, sort of this expressive uh, surrealist section coming up where we sort of see her understanding why they're doing this. Uh, but like them stomping on the naked guys is really funny, but like, yeah, they, they grab a couple of the ladies and tear their dresses off and demand they yeah. dance, which is wild. Uh, just exploitation stuff, I think really more than anything else. It must but be, yeah. I, I do love number one, then poking the gun in the war criminals crotch. It's like, I want you to shout bonsai. <laughs> no louder than that. Come on. Bonsai. <laughs> Uh, and ultimately, they're getting everyone to do it. And yeah. it's during the, the bonsai shouting that we have this amazing tunnel sequence, which is probably my favorite moment in the movie. Well, the, the, maybe the final scene, but this is up there. Yeah, so this um, this is cool. It's like the walls of the bus just kind of fall away and we see all these people but they look they don't look like they're on a bus anymore they look like they're in like a jury thing they're in a jury box yeah yeah and it's you know it's the amount of people who would make up a jury and yeah it's the hostages seeing these people as the jury who condemned them and like these people who are out in the world represent the the people who are who condemn them and see them as these villains mm-hmm so yeah. they're kind of striking back against that. That's why they've kind of othered them and they're making them their enemies. Uh-huh. And we we also get to see number one from a different point of view. And like, it's still not entirely a realistic view. Like it's still stagey. It kind of feels like Kabuki. Oh, oh, so we're at the number one flashback. Yeah, it happens in the tunnel sequence. Oh, so, I, oh right. Yeah, she's... So it shows her trying to she is basically committing harakiri like it's it's not she's trying to stab the baby to death. She is trying to kill herself. And yeah, so that, yeah, that makes it that that's a little bit of context she did not provide. Yeah. And you feel like she's kind of driven mad by the fact that she was unable to do that. And, and that's sort of why she's so hardcore all the time. Because it's but kind like, of the way she's trying to survive. Although the one thing here that makes me laugh so much is the they've got the barrel with the dead baby with the, just the feet sticking out sideways <laughs> upside down from the barrel of water and like it's 
it's too like it's it's sort of a, a silly looking thing like you just have these feet poking out from the, like the the bottom half of a torso just sticking straight out like like fun. the guard from before exactly yeah exactly like that but yeah this is cool because it's like this is like an old-timey like medieval japanese fishing village totally or it's yeah. like like it looks like that like from you know, like from a Satoichi movie or a yokai monster movie. Right, and she's surrounded by villagers who have all these big nets that they throw over her. Mm-hmm. And they're, like, tormenting her with sticks and planks and torches. And then, yeah. notably, she transforms into all of the other girls. Oh, yeah, right. And this is where... Uh, and they're, like... And in the flashback, they're, like... They're torturing all the girls. Exactly. Like, in turn. And they are the people on the bus. So. Oh, I didn't catch that. Yeah. Cause it's the, you oh, know, they're shit. the jury. They're the people who captured them. They're the people who condemned them. They are the outside world. And they're all being tormented by them and in the net until finally, like it goes through all six of them transforming through them until it's Scorpion. And she just stands up and cuts through the net. <laughs> it's like. It's like visual metaphor curses do not work on Scorpion. No, no, no. (laughs) (laughs) And they come to a police checkpoint. And number one's like, we're going to throw Scorpion off the bus now. (laughs) You're going to be our decoy. (laughs) I don't care what you think about it. I still have the gun and screw you. I still don't like you. Yeah. So, yeah, they toss her off, but she loses the knife. Does she? Yeah, the, the knife falls off. And like oh, into the stairwell yeah. of the bus, the, and the number other one, one ends gets up it. getting it. Or the number two, is, number two, number two gets, two gets it. Gets it. Uh, I don't remember how it ends up getting back to her, but it does. Uh, but like, uh, the police immediately recognize Scorpion. They run towards her, and they at first ignore the bus, but they've got a couple motorcycle cops who can chase after it. Yeah, but it's like, oh my god, <laughs> this is the one that we have to get back. Yeah, it was like, well, that's Scorpion. Forget the rest of these ladies. And then, you know, the the two motorcycle cops are shot down and killed through the back window of the bus. Yep. It was like, oh, maybe we should get them them too. Uh, <laughs> but they have so, another roadblock waiting down the highway already. This roadblock is ridiculous. This would never happen. No, it's so crazy. It's, it's a flatbed truck. With number two's <laughs> parents and son Sitting on, like, standing on the back. <laughs> <laughs> like, this is insanity. This is ridiculous. But number two, like, yeah, she sees him. But she and doesn't she... see all the SWAT members, like, behind the truck and beside the truck. Right, and she has the knife, and she rushes over there, and then they all come out. So she starts swinging the knife at them, and she's shot. And they go, Oikawa! And this is when I realized... In this movie, they only have names in death. His name is Robert Paulson. Right? Like, it's a, they, they never have a name until they die in this movie. Like, when uh, number six dies uh, is when we... they start calling Rose, Rose. They're looking for her. I didn't. Holy shit. I didn't realize that. <laughs> yeah. And it's the same with uh, uh, Haru. You know, it's yeah. after she's shot. It's like, Haru, Haru. Oh, no. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and we and we don't get all of their names even then. Yeah, because because some of them just kind of go down in a mass shooting. Some of them die when Scorpion is the only one around 
And yeah, and there's just no one to call for him. Yeah. And number one's like, okay, kill the hostages. I'm done with this. This is ridiculous. Uh, but the bus driver wrestles the gun away from her. Uh, she stabs him. So maybe she had the knife. Like, she must have the knife. But both of them had these knives. Uh, but anyway, she does stab him. She starts up the bus. She's going to drive through the guards. Uh, and, and she gets away. She she takes them out of there. And I don't know how many if they kill some of the hostages here or not, because we don't see many of the hostages again. Yeah, it's well, the next thing we see isn't it just the bus crashed into a wall? Yeah, it's just like stuff. Without really somewhere. knowing how it got there. Yeah. And we, we have Scorpion being taken in a Jeep to the location where the bus is. Yeah, you know, like the, the police are at like a block's distance from wherever it is. It kind of feels like it feels a lot like the sequence in the first film when they're giving her to the prisoners who have rioted. Right. Like when yeah, they've kind of, done yeah. the big riot and they have a bunch of hostage police and they like send her across the no man's land. They do that same sequence of like go to sending her in and her crossing a no man's land. Yeah. Yeah. So. <laughs> So she goes, and I, I don't know if she was meant to negotiate with him, but she just <laughs> doesn't do it. Yeah, she goes down there, and she and number one just have a face down, just looking at each other for a moment. And she and sees the rapist hostages, the, the three salarymen that were naked. She sees that they're still alive, at least. She can see them like, oh, help us, help us. Yeah, and, and like, number hmm. one says something like, oh, you sold out to the guards, huh? Right, which like, are you kidding me? Are you stupid? <laughs> well, she does have a response to that. She's like, I sold out. Yeah, I'm like, are this you is, kidding me? By the way, the first thing she says in the whole movie, like an hour and ten minutes in. It might be the only thing she says in the movie. Does she, she even say anything? She gets one more line. Oh, she does have one more. Okay. Yeah. Uh, right and she walks this. back. Oh, yeah, that's right. She walks back and is like, the hostages are dead. <laughs> Yeah, so Goto's like, all right, fuck, open fire, let's uh, body and Clyde these motherfuckers. Yeah, she, they put her in a van and is like, let's start gunning them down, and they toss out the three naked rapists, and they are all bloodily gunned down, and it's great, it's hilarious. And the warden's like, oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. Good shit. thing that promotion was set in stone. Yeah, it's a good thing it's already gone through. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and the three guards, three of the guards run up to check on them. And number one snipes two of them immediately, but runs out of bullets. She's finally run out of bullets. Yeah. The, the, that's one thing that's like the warden's been like, she, she'll run out of bullets sooner or later. That's like mm-hmm. the whole thing he's banking on. Yeah. Uh, he not, not a great plan, but I guess ultimately it worked. Uh, they, they go in, they have like a huge barrage and Oda seems to be the only survivor. Number one, we finally hear her name now that oh, she right, is yeah. shot and dying. Yeah, right. You can get their name when they're dying. Too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, number one, she, she is the only survivor of the brush. We don't hear about anyone else. And I feel like probably anyone else who is on the bus is dead. Yeah. So they, they throw her into the same uh, prison fan as uh scorpions in and i'm just thinking to myself scorpions gotta get her knife back though that's right and goda is like so listen i don't want to deal with scorpion ever again i want you to fake another escape attempt just execute her on the way back by the side of the road i don't care just do it and then he looks (laughs) (laughs) i like the way he words it too he's like "Mm -hmm. she's going to try to escape and when she does you're going to fatally shoot her 
but what if she doesn't try to escape them? She's going to try She's to escape. going to try. Well, what uh, if I can bring her back without using lethal force? You're going to shoot her in the process. And like, I, I love that he, he gives these orders and then he turns and there's Scorpion just staring right at him through the, <laughs> through the little window yeah. in the, the, the van. And he's like, oh. <laughs> so he they... tries to play it cool, like, but he yeah. is terrified of her. Oh yeah, and they let her they they let her out at this garbage dump, and one of them is about to shoot her, but Oba jumps and bites him in the neck. <laughs> oh yeah, uh, the gun is dropped and Scorpion gets it, and she kills that guard, and then the other one just tries to make a run for it, and this is the guy who. He's he's struggling through the trash. Yeah. And uh, he, what happens? She, he gets impaled on this thing somehow. She shoots him and like the fort, like he's near this spiky wheel and she yeah. shoots him and he falls and impales his neck on a spike. And it just like rolls because it's, you know, this this spool it just spins around exactly once. Very gruesome. And it looks totally great <laughs> as just some nobody guard maybe he was one of the the one who held her down at the beginning that's my guess could be <laughs> and so the next morning oba's still alive but she is very much dying mm-hmm. and she's just being carried through the dump by scorpion she's like just going on about how like no i can't die here i need to go back home i have to set everything on fire and get my revenge <laughs> <laughs> I have to make things right with fire. Yeah. I have to. I. I like. It's. It's not right for me to not be able to set this all right. Uh, they all have to burn. Don't you understand? Scorpion, of course, who is very familiar with the concept of people, certain people needing to burn. Yeah, she gets it. But yeah. then she falls and dies while having visions of her children coming for their vengeance. So she's just like completely bound up in this vengeance trip and there's nothing else. Uh, and, and that's sort of her defining fault. Like that, that's sort of what made her do it in the first place uh, to yeah. at least some extent. And uh, yeah, it's just, uh, it's what's destroyed her. Vengeance has been uh, deadly to her. And, and- then we got like her scorpion wandering through the dump towards the city while the song plays. And I thought we were going to cut to credits here, but instead like, we cut to been a great place to end the movie, but we cut to the corrections bureau. Yeah. Goda has now been promoted. Oh yeah. <laughs> Goda's as done soon as promotion. I saw like that, the establishing shot I was like, Oh, we're going to, he's, is he going to get his, <laughs> and I don't get exactly what happens initially because, like, he's driving, and it seems like a statue of a prison guard is thrust through the windshield of the car. Well, it takes a few tries. Yeah, <laughs> I don't fully understand it either. I don't know. And Scorpion just kind of supernaturally appears. She like she's wearing the murder outfit from the from, from the last movie. Yeah. It's. I don't think it's the exact same outfit. This is like a fur-trimmed cloak. Yeah, or, it's or similar. Coat, like but the, it's, the, the I hat, think it's the same hat. Yeah, the the sideways hat, really long and floppy black, looks great. And she like teleports towards him. She. Yeah, she's like standing at one tree, and then suddenly she's standing at the tree closer to him. 
and does like like three times she warps yeah. forward uh, and she has the witch's knife and she stabs him many times with it many many <laughs> yeah uh, although she stabs an x across his face which tears literally tears the screen and then suddenly they're on an overpass so cool so i choose to believe that she used her ghost powers and curse knife to rip a hole in reality to find a better place to kill this man well yeah she's killing him in sort of like this weird hyper modern landscape like the most modern landscape we've seen it's the only one that feels like a city with like big tower blocks and stuff whereas everywhere else has been sort of rural or like as you've mentioned a lot of times it it feels like it's more relegated to the past yeah or 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 like a like a science fiction planet the planet of prison shit and it's very similar to the ending of the first one with the detective getting his uh in the like you you see it in this uh very public space and notably it's the same knife that she got the detective with and somehow that the witch had it was the witch's knife the witch's knife was the the knife that she got with the detective you can see it's the same knife uh in i was watching the special features and they had sequences from the previous movies and i was like holy shit it's the same knife when she goes after the detective so the witch was this is like a magic reuniting the wife or the knife rather with its rightful (laughs) owner Uh, you're thinking of a guy who has two knives i gotta tell you this is pretty great (laughs) Uh, but yeah so you know she stabs him a bunch he falls down a huge flight of stairs and his fake eye just pops out of his head (laughs) It pops out of his head, and then we zoom in on it, on the fake eye. And Scorpion and is laughing in it. The only time we've seen her make a facial expression. Yeah, and it's she's she's joyous. She's laughing, and she transforms back into her prison uniform. And then they're all just running freely through the street. Yeah, like, first we see all of the killed prisoners from this movie, like the other... Yeah, like the six. Yeah, and then we we sort of zoom out, and then there's just dozens of them running through the streets, like this huge group of wronged women. And that's yeah, well, the end. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we, we got, like, this beautiful, like... It's a long sequence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, but, it's yeah. very dreamy, and, and it's very expressionist. You just have all of them running free. You have the music swelling. It's it's an angry movie, despite being really fun. Like it's got this the the set designer guy says, yeah, we were extremely influenced by all of the huge protest movements that were going on at the time. Like this is where we were all coming from. We were angry. Okay, okay. Yeah. So it's what a film. Pretty fun. Yeah. um, I I, kind of subscribe to your theory that this takes place in like a version of hell. Yeah, I like that thought because it sort of fits with it because it doesn't ever feel real. And and they say that at the beginning. They're very heavily like, this is not meant to reflect reality. <laughs> yeah, not just the similarities are coincidental. It's there is no connection to reality. Yeah, th- this is an abstract film, just so you know. Uh, yeah, it, it kind of feels like it, it's th- this opening onto all of these different spaces, which is why at the end, all of them can be drawn upon and like all of them can finally run free. Yeah. And, and yeah, like this one turns Scorpion from not just a wronged woman seeking revenge, but into like a freaking 
vengeance spirit of death. Yeah, she she totally like, becomes a, a lot... spirit of vengeance. She's Ghost Rider. Yeah, but even before she gets the ghost power, she's a lot more spooky in this. Oh, totally. Because, like, like, she is very still. She is just waiting for her moment to strike at every time. Like a scorpion might. Like a scorpion, yeah. Yeah, like, because in the last one, she had she had lines in the last one. She had dialogue. Mm-hmm. And this Didn't one, she? I think it really is just the two. It is. I, I kept track. It's like, she hasn't said anything yet. So, like, I, I've been specifically keeping note to see like what and how much she says she has those two lines and that's it it's pretty rad uh yeah just so wild and and like it's more violent it's got a, a kind of a deeper cast of characters because i feel like you don't really get to know many of the characters in the first one no you don't like the the prison warden in the first one he, he feels like elmer fudd yeah and like she has one supporter inmate kind of like in this one but like that's the only person that's sort of on her side and then there's just kind of some other bad women and they're kind of just not as heavily drawn as these like they don't have like even number one here has sort of a tragic backstory we we get to sort of understand that the way she's telling things is not the way it was and that like yeah she's been driven insane by what she did but maybe she was driven insane and that's why she did it Mm -hmm. yeah yeah, this is I, – I wasn't expecting this franchise to go down this direction, but, when, like, like it feels more like a, like, like a myth, mythological movie. Like, like we're seeing the origin of a yokai monster. Yeah, there, there's a real horror element to it. There's a, a real strange atmosphere to it all. Uh, so, uh, please, go ahead. Yeah, um, I, I love this one a lot more than I love the first one. Um, particularly because I feel like the first one had too much rape. This one has some. It has some. <laughs> it has some, but, but you know, it's, it's they get it out of the way in the beginning and you don't see it as clearly, really. I suppose. Uh, yeah, so this is replaced in the stacks with Beast Stable, I presume. I, I don't figure uh, you're going to... Want to uh, move oh, from yeah, this no, <laughs> no, I'm done with Scorpion. Fuck this shit. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm going to read the back of Beast Stable, which right, I right. haven't done yet. Because um, I already know the, what it's about. I could tell you what it's about. Oh, uh, I don't know yet. <laughs> okay, so I'll tell you. They they uh, th- This one, she's on the run. She has escaped from prison. She's staying escaped in this next one. They're yeah. after her, but she's... Uh, oh, that's right. I did read this. There's a police, de- like a super detective. Super detective that is like after her. And she uh, is hanging out with a sex worker who is uh, living with her brother who is not mentally well. And they're also they're dealing with this crazy pimp or madam. Uh, I think a gender bent sort of thing there. Okay. Uh, who who is sort of like the the super pimp like so you got the super detective and you got a super pimp who's like controlling the whole sex work uh network and like doesn't like this prostitute doing her own thing uh so it's like clamping down on both of them and like making them making scorpion and her friend part of their stable okay cool yeah um, I can't wait to see what the next one is 
what it's, it's going to be, be interesting like, to see it moving outside of prison i think especially yeah. uh okay uh, so same any, director yeah uh, you Ito did the first three yeah yeah and then uh someone else does the fourth one i'm not sure who but we'll we'll talk about that uh when we get to it so any last thoughts on jailhouse 41 no just that i love this movie all right uh so uh we'll head on to part two and we're back for part two uh where we're going to talk about the stone killer uh by director michael winner from 1973 very notably this is a collaboration between charles bronson and michael winner the year before they made death wish together oh that that was him in death wish bronson is death wish uh, uh, the, the whole death wish series yeah yeah so you've seen death wish three correct and, the, and maybe uh, nothing else i think that's all i've seen of him otherwise the only thing i really know of charles bronson is simpsons, simpsons jokes yeah yeah i wish bronson, i was dead missouri <laughs> Bron- yeah bronson missouri is the other one right for everybody uh it's that's actually one of my favorite jokes ever on the simpsons like this ain't branson missouri it's branson missouri <laughs> hey ma how's about a cookie no dice this ain't <laughs> <Opa."> <laughs> Oh, just tremendous. Uh, this this movie is based on the book A Complete State of Death by John Gardner. And wow, is this ever based on a book, right? <laughs> like, it does not feel as if they streamlined it from its original book form. It kind of feels like it probably took place in the same order. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's so complicated to follow this movie. The plot isn't actually complicated, but the way it's presented, I didn't know what anyone was doing until the end. It's such a slow reveal. I I, I watched this movie uh, on Father's Day with my parents, <laughs> like initially a couple weeks back, and we were like three quarters of the way through the movie, and I was like, I still don't know what's going on in this movie. <laughs> I was like, I don't know either. I've seen it before and I don't. <laughs> but i've well, now watched it yeah i've now watched it three or four times so i've got kind of a solid grasp on it i think well 31 years ago on april 10th 42 uh, 42 oh, 42 that's right it was in 1931 yeah it, it was uh the uh, the meaning of life 42 so I, I love the tagline of this movie before we get into it. And I don't know if you watched the trailer that's included on the desk. Oh, no, I didn't. So the tagline, I think you saw on the poster, because we talked about this last week. It's, this cop plays dirty. <laughs> <laughs> Good thing the other ones don't. <laughs> uh, in the trailer, the other tagline, which is also great and very true to this movie, and I want to talk about this movie's ethos as we go through it, because I think it's very interesting, and I'm not quite sure where it lands, because you know, people have it, mixed opinions on winners. It, has a, it comes out, the at the ending comes out in the middle of nowhere with this weird monologue. Of, <laughs> it's so strange. Oh, man. It's the most he talks in the entire movie. Yeah. Because, like, usually he just gives one-liners. Yeah, uh, one-liners or, or doesn't say anything. Or doesn't say anything. Uh, yeah, it, at the end of the trailer, if he didn't have a badge, he'd be on the 10 most wanted list. 
Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so, the the movie opens in Spanish Harlem. Wait, is this that is, a real thing? This is a real place, yeah. Spanish oh, okay, Harlem. okay. Uh, I I can't remember where where in New York it is, but th- that's what they call it, Spanish Harlem, uh, and. There's this liquor store standoff. There's a Puerto Rican teen who's in a standoff with some patrolman. And he's like escaped into a building or something. I'll go after him. I'm Charles Brunson. I'm not <laughs> going to introduce the scene. I'm just going to go after him. But like basically Brunson shows up. He just rolls up to the scene. He talks to this one guy. He's like, so what's going on here? And he, he gives him a lowdown. And he doesn't consult the officers in charge in any degree. And oh yeah, I should mention uh, Bronson as Lou Tory. We're probably just going to refer to him as Bronson the entire movie. Oh he yeah. Is Bronson. <laughs> yeah. He's a loose cannon. <laughs> but yeah, he, he does not bother to consult anyone. He just walks right into the building. <laughs> Gun drawn. <laughs> the other cops special like, in his hand. <laughs> who told Bronson he could go in? Yeah, it's like what? you're gonna tell him he can't. Yeah, you're gonna tell him not to. It's like, well, he's already in there, so I guess we don't have much of a choice. Yeah. And the, this poor kid is, you know, just terrified. He tries to bust through, like he just jumps through a glass window to get onto a fire escape, trying to get away. Uh, Bronson chases him out. The kid turns, points his gun, and Bronson shoots him. And we have uh, what's on the poster actually, just the the body flying Hang- backwards yeah like hanging off of the railing of the fire escape <laughs> yeah with like the back legs i think in the initial shot the stuntman actually just jumped off because it looks like he is just going clear of the railing entirely in the initial mm-hmm. shot and then like they cut to below where there's just an empty lot and a ton of reporters just waiting <laughs> Which speaks to this as potentially very quietly a satire or comedy movie, like very dry. But there are all of these little things like that's a comedic end to this scene. It's just it doesn't play it like it's comedy. Yeah, um, there's a lot of things that's like it looks like it could be a joke. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff like that. And one of them, like some of them I do laugh out loud at and I have no idea if I'm supposed to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So th- this is a big deal because this is the third teenager which has been killed by police in the past month in New York. So, well, hold like, on. They only they've only killed three teenagers in the last three, month. Three. New York City's finest. Give them a medal. <laughs> it's a different time. Uh, and they're but they are cracking down. And they're like, okay, you're handing in your gun, and it seems like he's just being removed from the police and like how does this start the movie uh, no he just gets to be a cop somewhere else he's just going elsewhere uh he's being transferred like a, a priest so <laughs> like and like they they do say like dude we had the place surrounded wasn't there an easier way to get the kid, kid out than in a coffin <laughs> he was where was he gonna go yeah. and it's like he was only 17 gun made him older and made him older. And yeah, this is when he talks to his sister, Dr. Tori. Wait, that was his sister? That's his sister. It says on her uh, uh, lapel, Dr. Something Tori. I can't remember the first name. Yeah, it's like, well, so you're going to L.A.? Yeah. Yep. Uh, are you going to go see your daughter? Do you want to know where, do you want her address? Nope. No. <laughs> and he's going on about the kid to her. And he's like, 
well, you know, it's a bad system and it's probably in drugs and, you know, shooting a cop makes that kind of kid a hero. And it's like, you've really bought into the propaganda on this one. Because mostly he's pretty good. You know, yeah. I, I would say that he is sort of uh, on the right side of things most of the time in this most movie in very time. interesting ways. Like once in a while, he plays dirty, <laughs> like absolutely. Uh, but I but, feel like if this kid didn't have a gun and just had a cell phone, I right. don't think the scene would have played out any differently. Um, Depends, because Bronson, I feel like he wouldn't screw Although, that up. Although <laughs> Bronson is a super cop in this who doesn't he miss. He is a super cop, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, the, the sister, she's like, you remind me of the crappy place we grew up. This is dead, and it's always November, and just sucks to be around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, fine, I'm moving across the country. <laughs> I mean, I'll be back in a few. In like, I'm gonna be f- back and forth like every day. <laughs> <laughs> well no because the first time he comes back we're supposed to believe two years have passed i cannot believe that it seems like it's just taking place in the same sequence it, it feels like he gets there and it's like okay well now you got to take this guy back to new york this is what we brought you here for. right it seems like he got there and they went he went immediately back it seems like he got there and it's like oh they already had a desk set up for him it's like he already works there <laughs> Because, in in fact, that is what happens, because we have the opening credits while he flies to L.A. And I want to mention the score here by Roy Budd, this awesome jazz funk score. So good. Total blast. Uh, So he meets with Captain Les Daniels, played by Norman Fell, who you might know from Three's Company. Oh, shit. Um, uh, One of the landlords. Yeah, yeah. Huh, and okay, cool. notably John Ritter also in this movie pre Three's Company. Oh, John Ritter's in this? I didn't yeah, see Yeah, did him. you not spot him? He's one of the cops who uh, he has to have some bad cop rehab on. He screws up a couple things. Oh, shit. I'll wow, point him okay. out when we get there. Yeah, I was All like, right. oh, hey, Norman Fell and John Ritter. No way. Uh, so they go to Metro Police Pico Division, which is a real precinct. It's on West Temple Street. This is a just totally real spot. A lot of great real location shooting in this movie, I feel. Oh, cool. A lot of cool uh, stuff. Fortunately for them, not Precinct 13. No, this is Precinct 4. And so, yeah, he, he goes in and they already have a desk with his name on it. It's like, has he just been working in L.A. and New York? And when he shoots someone, he just like crosses country to like wait till the heat dies down. <laughs> <laughs> or he shoots someone else there and he's like, I gotta go back to New York. We'll 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 catch up with you guys later. Just keep my desk warm. <laughs> I wish they'd institute work from home. <laughs> <laughs> Who's he gonna shoot there? <laughs> um, but he won't have to treat well, if he doesn't shoot anyone, he doesn't have to commute. I guess. So we, we cut to I guess this is later. <laughs> this is maybe years I later. I guess it's later, but it's it feels like he just got off the plane and is on this assignment. Yeah, no, I feel like he must be because he I don't know. So like, like there there's this I guy stepping like this out of the hotel. Immediately after I know he gets it's, off the plane. It it seems like it's all just immediately happening. It feels like this all takes place over the course of like two weeks, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't know how much time actually passes because we only ever get one date. Yeah. 
Uh, and we get it a lot of times. And then ultimately we arrive at it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The climax day. Yeah. So there, there's this guy in a white suit. And he steps out of this place, the Bixby Hotel, which is also a real place. Mm-hmm. And he immediately spots this cop waiting for him. He runs, but Bronson is waiting just up the street and he kicks him in the belly. Oh, yeah, right. He just... He gets a few good kicks in this movie yeah. like when he jumps up and kicks the door. Oh, yeah. I, I like that one. Mm-hmm. And while they're arresting the guy, the beat cop uses the N word and Bronson's like, shut up. Your southern man is a showing. <laughs> yeah, it's like, well, what are you, Mr. Like, oh, what does he say? He says something like how it's not good to be not racist. I, I don't yeah, know. I don't know. He calls him. Yeah, I think this is Matthews who has to go through some bad cop rehab a couple times in this movie. A couple times. <laughs> so this guy they're arresting, he's a drug dealer, and they want the guy who he was delivering to. Uh, and there's this crowd gathered across the street, and they're just openly brutalizing this guy in public because no one is going to say anything about it. Yeah, what is this, 1992? And also Bronson is like, you're a connection, you're black, and this ain't a tolerant society. And the guy's like, yeah. okay, you know what? I will tell you who I was delivering to because I have no way of winning here. Yeah. Now, when they go in, notably, the dude sitting on the counter at the hotel is uh, Angelo Rosito, who was in Dracula versus Frankenstein. Okay, okay cool. cool. He's the one who uh, has the axe and is like doing like the coin tricks, and he falls down the stairs and lands on his own axe at, that, at the end. Oh, of the- right. Yeah, that guy. Yeah. He doesn't even have a line in this movie. He's just sitting on the counter when they go past. <laughs> so they go up to the second floor, and I think it's Matthews. He kicks in one of the doors, uh, and there's just people having sex in the room. Do you know why it isn't Bronson who kicked that door? Uh, isn't it because, well, the guy, yeah, the guy told him, like, hey, let the kid go first. Maybe I'll get lucky. Well, it's the it's- whole, like, the Serpico thing, like, Maybe if you if you go first too many times. No, this is actually a meta reason. Oh. Bronson had it in his contract. He would not appear on screen with naked women. Just really? Something he didn't do ever. So there there were people having sex in the room and he's just like, nope, I, I will kick the other door. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. We'll have the other. I didn't know that. Them. Yeah. Interesting. That does remind me of a funny story that I heard. I, I don't know if it's true, but it hmm. sounds like it could be. Uh, Brian Cranston intended to have a stipulation in his contract that he'd never be shown in his underwear, but somehow he'd it got always fucked be shown up. in his underwear. Like I mean, the contract got fucked lot. up, so now he has to, like, once a season. Because <laughs> he did a lot. He did a lot of Malcolm in the Middle. It's like the iconic image for Breaking Bad at the beginning. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and yeah. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's, it kind of became his thing. But my <laughs> under, I, I could be making this up, or something. I've heard that, but yeah, it, it totally could be one of those myths. I'm not sure, but yeah, I mean, it could be too. <laughs> but like, yeah, I I did not know that about Bronson though. Yeah. So he kicks the second door down and he finds Armitage, uh, played by Eddie Firestone, kind of a classic old, like, mean guy. Uh, and he's like, 
It bothers me. <laughs> I've seen your face, but I don't know who you are. Charles like I arrest- Bronson. <laughs> yeah, I arrested you six years ago in New York. I was like, ah. And he still has a New York warrant out for murder at the moment. So Bronson has to deliver him back. And honestly, I could have sworn it was the same day. Like he arrived in Los Angeles like and he's flying day. back there. But he talks to the guys like, hey, long time no see. And I'm like, yeah. I thought he was just saying it joking. He's like, well, has it been in L.A. the last two years? I'm like, what? Like, what? <laughs> yeah, I cannot believe it. So, oh, yeah, that's right. It's it's. The the fourth precinct in L is is in New York, not in Los Angeles. Pico Division in LA, fourth oh, precinct okay. in New York. I, I have backwards, but yeah, because uh, so he has to deliver him back, and uh, he and the two feds step up to the curb at the airport, and kaboom! <laughs> mm-hmm. He gets uh, our uh, Armitage gets blown the fuck away. Drive by shotgunning. Mm-hmm. And they're like, whoa, holy shit. And it's very precise. The people get away and they're like, well, shit. He's like, well, I'm here now. I guess I'll just take a taxi to the precinct anyway. Uh, maybe oh, but my... who's going to pay for the taxi? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think it's my favorite exchange in the movie is the taxi driver's like, what are you going to the fourth precinct for? And he's like, they give a good massage and a quick piece of ass. <laughs> <laughs> It's pretty funny. <laughs> he has some pretty good lines. Yeah. Yeah, the the captain greets him very affectionately, like, you wop bastard. Because uh, both of them are supposed to be Italian. Uh, yeah. Bronson is very not Italian. <laughs> uh, Bronson is Hungarian, I believe. Oh. Uh, but yeah, so uh, his, his, his buddy, Captain, Captain Guido Lorenz, Oh yeah, right. Yeah, and he's like, "Yeah, it's good to see you after two years," which is nuts. And uh, Armitage gave him the name Wexter. Yeah, yeah, man. Let me go. I'll tell you all about Wexter. And they they just get this one desk cop. It's like, "You look into it. We're gonna go to the bar." I've got six <laughs> homicides. Now you got six homicides and Wexter Wexter research. Yeah, and you got uh, you got. The six homicides and a call to research for Wexter. I'm like, all right. <laughs> uh, and they, they go to the bar and meet with one of my favorite characters in the movie. Maybe my favorite, JD. Oh, the, the sweet weed man. The the gentleman weed dealer. Best grass man on the East Coast. Yeah, so he, he's like, he's like telling the cops what he has. And it's like, you can go away a long time for this. Yeah, he like they well they've pinched him. They know his business. Yeah. And like it's it's clearly like they're just pinching him for information, and he can just yeah. go through his spiel. So he gets like, all right, and he like reveals all of his different strains. And he's like, well, this is, and they're all actual strains. And he's like, these are the sort of effects you get from them. These are the people I tend to sell them to. He's just such a cute, soft-spoken old man. He's very wheezy. Yeah, yeah, like well dressed. Yeah. Uh, and he's going to be their informer on airport killings. He's like, you heard about the airport killing? Like, yeah, of course. Who hasn't? He's like, <laughs> it gets to yeah. a point where it's like, you heard about the airport killing? Which one? <laughs> yeah. And he's like, yeah, OK. Uh, yeah. I, I, 
you you let me go on this and uh, I will give you any information I hear about the airport killing. Only the airport killing and nothing else. And I, I want to say, notably, this is shot at the same time in New York as Serpico. And it does kind of have a lot of the feel of it. And like them dealing with this weed dealer kind of reminds me of uh, Serpico and his FBI buddies smoking weed together. <laughs> and they're learning about weed uh, seminar. <laughs> oh, yeah, right. <laughs> so we, we cut to some people dumping ammonia on a bunch of boxes of fish. There's a mob shakedown of just some some fish store. Yeah. And we're introduced to Martin Balsam as Don Alberto Vascari, who's in a car overseeing this shakedown. He's the bad guy. He is. Yeah, I guess he's the main bad guy. He's, he's the one in charge of the bad guys. Yeah. And he says he's assigning a contract on Gus Lipper, who is described who's as that? a <laughs> as a Wexter man who got arrested. And he's assigning the contract to the Wexter people. Yeah. So let's get this out of the way. Wexter isn't a person. <laughs> No, Wexter is but a group. They, yeah, Wexter is a like a group or a place. Yeah, it's a um, ranch, I think. Yeah. But and, and it turns out to be like this whole wild goose chase because they keep finding all these different people named Wexter who have they nothing find, to do with it. Yeah, there's two people that they find named Wexter and they have nothing to do with it and it really screws them over going yeah. after them. Oh, yes. Uh, especially the second one. But Gustav mm-hmm. Lipper is currently at the Los Angeles General Hospital and he's undergoing some tests and he's really nervous. Uh, he thinks he's going to be lobotomized by the police. I kind of feel like maybe he is getting MK Ultra. It kind of does feel like this sort of, this almost feels like it's an MK Ultra thing because there are all these Vietnam vets that they are uh, using for these sort of double blind experiments and a lot of the time they're just using them as like a hitman in a chain to be killed afterwards. Uh-huh. But yeah, he's talking to like the head. Is it the head bad guy or the head hospital guy? This is just a hospital guy because he's at the hospital and uh, the, the bad guy's not there. there. There's this right, right. weird doctor who uh, uh, Bronson has a chat with later. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So this is the one where he's like, man, this is inhuman. This is unfair. We didn't do this. We didn't even do this kind of shit in Vietnam. And the guy's like, you want to talk about Vietnam? Yeah. Yeah. I actually don't. Yeah. Not, not really. And yeah, he, he totally thinks that they're going to lobotomize him. And that's what he's like worked up about. He sort of feels that that's what he's there for, but they're doing tests because they think there's something weird about him. I am going to say never use we didn't do shit this bad in Vietnam. Yeah, no. Never use that argument. <laughs> so uh, we we meet Lionel Jumper, who's probably my other favorite character. I really like oh, this guy. Oh, yeah, this poor um, real car dumb car thief henchman. Yeah, he is the car thief henchman, and he's just supposed to steal cars and bring them places, and he uh, just ends up caught. And it really goes bad. The way he does it, though, he's got like this cartoony, like 
jail cell key ring oh, thing so with like dumb. hundreds of keys. It's like the guy from the Matrix, but it's not so a joke. It's so obvious. Yeah, it's just like, what are you doing with all of those keys, dude? Uh, but yeah, that, that's, that's well, it's, still it's a how little he gets bit caught. forward. Yeah, even yeah. though like, yeah, that, that's a couple scenes. But we do see like, him use it. At oh yeah, 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 soon. Right, and and we see Bronson arriving back in Los Angeles again. He's <laughs> back and forth, back and forth. And I love yeah. this moment where he just goes to his apartment, and he has this painting. <laughs> Saturn devours his son. Is yeah, they... Saturn by Goya, <laughs> and he just like. Goes into a fugue state staring at it for a moment. It's a very strange scene. Like, music plays, it zooms in, and the scene's like, zooms in on his face. Like, okay. <laughs> Doesn't appear to be connected to anything else, but it happens at least one other time. Yeah, it's just a moment of him like, okay, I'm going to just stare at this painting and zone out for a moment. <laughs> and this is what I've talked about, how it feels like it is not adapted from a novel in any way. It's just like not streamlined. It's just... And then Lionel Jumper steals a Chrysler Bonifil, and then Bronson arrives back in L.A., and we see him looking at a Goya painting, and then Lionel Jumper arrives at a motel. <laughs> yeah, and if it were a novel, you might get, like, well, he was thinking about this and this yeah. and this, but <laughs> that's not here. Yeah, it's just very strange. You just kind of got to guess what's happening. Well, like, it's, like I said, it feels like he just goes into a fugue. It's like, what is going on? This is so weird. Uh, so yeah, Jumper shows up at the motel, and he meets with Al Langley, who's a very fascinating character. Uh, oh, our, the, the trombone guy. Yeah, our LGBT, gender-fluid, jazz trombonist hitman. Yeah. Yeah, uh, so he switches the guy. plates. Yeah, interesting dude. Uh, and Mr. Lawrence, played by Stuart Margolin, arrives. He gives Jumper some money and a ticket to New Orleans. Which I don't think he ends up using. No, he does not get to New Orleans. <laughs> uh, and Lawrence is with Graham, who is another Vietnam vet. So he's kind of signaling to them, here's another Vietnam vet that we're working with. He's uh, one of our hitmen. And and Jumper's like, man, I'm not asking anybody's names. This is going to come up. Stop telling me your names. Yeah, I'm like, please, just I don't want to know any of this shit. What are, what are you doing? I just is... want to take a car and put it somewhere. Yeah, it's like, don't you understand how to run a criminal enterprise? I am smart about this stuff, except for the keyring thing. <laughs> really except for the keyring. Well, maybe that's how you had to do it back then. Maybe. And, like, he also notably, like, they switch the plates and he puts them in his bag and has them on him when he gets picked up, which is also a big problem. That's dumb. Yeah. Cause they, Why would you keep them? Are you going to put them back after? I don't know. Like, they're they're literally about to go drive to use this car to kill someone very publicly so yeah. bad idea yeah so we cut to the hospital which is where they're heading but we don't know that yet and here's where we see john ritter first He's oh the patrolman. So that's john ritter who... yeah very young john ritter holy shit i did not recognize him at all yeah so he's patrolman hart and he's escorting gustav lipper yeah uh, and they go to the bathroom and Langley is waiting in the bathroom for Lipper with a pistol so he can escape. Right. Yes. And then so he hands off the pistol and just gets out of the bathroom and then Lipper's holed up in the stall waiting for the guy to come check on him. Right. And so he disarms Ritter, Hart, and he takes him hostage and they, he marches out to the parking lot 
and Langley and Graham are waiting in the Bonneville out in the parking lot. Uh, and so and, Graham. Uh, sorry, go ahead. So Graham calls to Gus. He's like, Gus, run, run. And he starts running for the car and Graham machine guns the shit out of him. Yeah, I kind of wonder what the point of that was. Well, the the point here was just to put a hit on him. He'd been arrested, so like he. Oh right, right, because he's he is no longer those... usable. Yeah, right. Yeah, he's one this of the. This is all stuff people. that happened in his, in before the movie began. Yeah, like this is what Balsam. He was. This is the contract he was assigning to the Wexter people when he right. was car at the mob shakedown with the fish. Like, again, not streamlined, not streamlined at all. A yeah, little the, difficult. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it does. This movie kind of does feel like it needs a second rewatch or or a discussion. Yeah, well, watching. yeah, and that's the thing. Like, it, it took me a few watches to really fully get all of it down, and I, I love it because it's so complex and so ridiculously absurd, and just the crazy violence and the way it's kind of vaguely satirical in some ways somehow. Like, I don't know, it's it's bizarre, but yeah, I, I love the squibs, great squibs, just machine guns, it's, uh, big bloody squibs going off. I always love that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Bronson shows up on the scene and he's like what hit him it's a complete state of death (laughs) (laughs) i mean i guess that's true it's not nothing incorrect about that i guess so so this is when he talks to this weird doctor the the doctor who was checking lipper out right right and and the doctor has this whole theory about these that vietnam vets in general have this tendency towards violence uh and He's saying it's because violence and aggression are habit forming uh, and also like to some extent PTSD. Mm. They don't. Yeah. Well, I guess they don't PTSD say PTSD had been coined back right. then. Like they would have been called shell shock. Right. And they don't mention shell shock either. They yeah. just kind of feel like, yeah, it, because these people have been trained to kill and have been forced to be extremely aggressive and uh, be in this sort of uh, highly. Uh, aggressive environment for a lengthy period of time that it sort of makes you uh, also a super paranoid environment it's very paranoid and this is a paranoid movie too yeah a paranoid movie about crime especially like you know early 70s this is the big peak of serial killers this is like the crime apocalypse era right right things are a lot less bad in that regard now than they were then Mm -hmm. so at LAX, Jumper screws up. <laughs> he goes to get his suitcase from his car, and there's this motorcycle cop who's like, who just looks and sees this guy with this absurd ring of keys. You didn't look even a little suspicious, and I was going <laughs> to let you go by, but what's with that, the keys, dude? Yeah, what's with the keys, man? He's like, and he, he's just trying to show him all sorts of ideas. He's like, no, it's, it's fine. And it, the cop's like, I want to look in your bag. It's like, you don't need to look in my bag. Here, I have this and this and this. Like, the bag. Like, uh, he hits him with the bag. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Whack. Uh, and he tries to run, and the guy's like, stop. What are you doing? I have a gun. Just stop. And he's immediately taken into custody. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And we cut back to <laughs> we cut back to the precinct and the police chief there is like, 
while I'm pretty sure it's militant blacks, and the FBI agrees with me. <laughs> it's definitely the Black Panthers doing that. Absolutely militant blacks. And Brunson's like, come on, come on, that's so stupid. You've got to be kidding me. And like these two hits are definitely connected. The one on one in New York and the one in L.A., these are the same people doing this. I'm sure of it. And yeah, and then when he leaves, like the chief's like, I think he might turn into a loose cannon. <laughs> turn into? <laughs> if he didn't have a badge, he'd be on the top 10 most wanted list. Uh, well, so, that's true of many cops. But, yeah. It's true. So Bronson interrogates Jumper. Because uh, and this is where we learned that, yeah, he had the plates in his bag from the Bonneville. So it's like, we know you're connected to that shooting. So tell me about Wexter. I don't know about Wexter. Yeah, he goes completely you just pale. Went all white. Yeah. And he uh, Brunson sweeps the chair out from under him. He's like, don't hit me. I'll have you up on charges. He's like, who's hitting you? And then he hits him. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he like waits a beat and he punches him in the mouth. And then he calls for the officer on the door and like, the prisoner wants to make a complaint against me. Because <laughs> I keep kicking his ass. He's like, he says I hit him. He's like, he hit me three times. I'm like, his face looked marked. And, uh, the door comes like, not to me. And the guy's got just a gigantic welt and bruise on the oh, side yeah, of his he's... face. There's blood coming out of his mouth. Oh, he's, yeah, he, he's like so... He looks like he got out of a fight with Muhammad Ali. Yeah, like he has been boxing. And so he's like, okay, okay, look, I delivered the Pontiac to the motel. Uh, and he, I delivered this Pontiac to this motel to these guys. But that's all I know. And Bronson takes him with him to the motel. I didn't and I ask this... their name, too. That's important. I don't know their names. <laughs> and I didn't just... ask their name. They told me, but I didn't ask. And, like, it doesn't show him there, but, like, it shows Bronson talking to just other people in the in the motel, these witnesses, and, like, oh, yeah, Jumper, we saw him here a couple times before. He seemed to know those people he met with earlier, because uh, we saw him meet with them a couple times. And it, like, pans over, and he's there in the car, and he's like, ugh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and Bronson shows to the witnesses, like, is this the guy you saw? Yeah, that's the yeah, guy I saw. That's him. He's like, oh, damn it, <laughs> He Poor was jumper. Hot. Oh yeah, that's right. The the that's lady right. was that... really into Langley. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, but they don't know Langley's. They they think his name is Lawson here. The the name he gave at the motel is Al Lawson. Oh yeah, right. So they have some trouble <laughs> tracking him down. Well, Bronson cracks his fake name code instantly. Oh yeah. So now Balsam as Vascari goes to a cemetery to pay respects to a whole bunch of dudes who died on April 10th, 1931. Yeah, and he just get, lists them off one by one, like, and, the, and his date of death? April, April 10th, 10th, 1931. <laughs> and uh, this guy, this guy did this and this and this, and then he got shot on April 10th, 1931. <laughs> so this big massacre at Scarputo's restaurant. And he's got some real big plans coming up for April 10th, 1973, which is the 42nd anniversary. And I don't know why 42. I really don't. Uh, yeah, uh, maybe he was going to do it on the 40th, but his back gave out. Or just like he couldn't get it together. He couldn't like, get it together, yeah. I don't know. Well, that's... But 
42. That'd be that'd be 71. Maybe no, Vietnam. 42. When did 31, Vietnam? Or, or 40, sorry, if it was 40, it'd be 71 rather oh, right. than 73. Yeah. When did I mean, Vietnam he, actually end? Later. It's still going. Uh, oh, okay, okay. That that ended with Nixon. I I think yeah. I don't know that it went on for a while. Uh, but he he mentions that the massacre ended the Castellamarie's War. Uh, with cool. this guy Don Salvatore Maranzo becoming capo di tutti capi. And then he just goes on to give a detailed year history of forty two years of Sicilian mafia in America. Is like this. Gigantic info dump, and most of it is totally irrelevant to the plot. <laughs> yeah, I didn't. I don't think any of it ever came back, other than, and then, I'm going to get revenge. It's it's kind of just like building this a historical event of this massacre into real mob history because this didn't happen, but it, it's sort of like creating it and then placing it in actual mob history. I think, but it's so complicated. There's so and much Al of it. Capone was there. Al Capone and Lucky Luciano. Yeah. Uh, and he says, OK, we've hired 20 gunmen with military training and no criminal records. And these will, of course, turn out to be our various Vietnam vets. The stone killers, they call them. Although not quite yet. He doesn't get to the, the stone killer explanation for a little while still. Oh, yeah. <laughs> all All this guy does is he, exposition yeah you you show up and he's like okay i'm gonna tell you a little bit more about what the plot of this movie is going to be about but you'll i'm just gonna piece it out to you we'll we'll find out at the end and he's he says he's got seven guys for the party and 13 reinforcements who are like gonna go to all of the various different mob families across the country right and because he, he, right, he hasn't yet come up with a plan to get them all in the same room together. Right, and it's, it's I mean, it gets, it's ultimately very simple. Yeah. Uh, but the the main guy who he wants to get is Vachetti, who is the current Tutikapi. So he's the prime target, but we don't really know much more about it than that. We've got, so there's Vietnam vets, there's this revenge plot, there's this Vachetti guy. Okay, uh, I'm following so far. Yeah, and like it makes sense when we've put it all carefully together, but when it's him giving the entire detailed 42 years of Sicilian mafia history, it's a little yeah, hard like to follow. Yeah, like the whole time I was like, okay, <laughs> how, what what of this is going to be relevant? What isn't? <laughs> the only thing that I'm taking away from this is April 10th. And yeah, it turns yeah. out that's all you really need. April really 10th, cheap. and I'm going to make the graveyard more full than it was. Yeah. So, uh, cut to L.A. again, uh, Pico Division. The report is back on the Wexters, and they're like, we've got nothing at all in New York, and there's just these two randos in L.A. that don't really seem like they'd be related in any sort of way. And they're like, first we got this guy, he's this black guy, and he beat up his white landlord. Bronze is like, looks like it was probably justified. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I think that one is uh, not a criminal, thanks. And there's... A girl who stole her boyfriend's checkbook is like probably for services rendered. Again, not a criminal. I don't need to worry about this. <laughs> like this is this is a waste of time. And the the boss there is like, no, this is your Wexter goose chase. So you're gonna interview both of them. So go now. 
And it's like, <laughs> we've got this Al Langley guy, because this is where he figured out the Al Langley thing. It's like, yeah. <laughs> can't I go deal with this Langley guy? And it's like, no, you have to talk to Wexter. Because <laughs> you, you're the one who brought this whole Wexter thing to our attention. Yeah, and I don't like it and screw you. Uh, you're a like, loose cannon. Yeah. yeah. It's like, ah, fine. Matthews, you go with Hart to see Langley. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. So John Ritter. Again. Yeah. John Ritter and Matthews, they, they go to the raid the apartment. Uh, and he's with his roommate. Oh my God. They're roommates. roommates. <laughs> Who notably, like, we, we only see shirtless in the background and then it cuts to, like, a shot of his butt in underwear. And, like, yeah. at, at the back of the scene, like, they're roommates, huh? <laughs> yeah, that's all we see of him, just him and his tidy whities Yep. And Langley very successfully just makes a run for it. <laughs> yeah, he just. The guy just tosses him his jacket. He punches out one of the cops and he runs punches down Matthews. the stairs. Yep. yep. Runs uh, downstairs past these old ladies so they can't get a shot. And he's gone. He's he's out. Uh, so, yeah, uh, Matthews and Hart really screwed that one up. <laughs> but meanwhile, Bronson is at a vegan restaurant called Food Chakra. <laughs> oh, right. He doesn't get to the thing right away. He has to no. follow the trail just to find this girl. Because she works at this vegan restaurant, uh, Geraldine Wexter. And right. the proprietor doesn't want to give anything because, you know, you don't like cops. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he starts uh, hassling her. I can get her. the health inspector down here every single day. And the fire inspector, those guys are dicks. Yeah, the fire inspector, he's a real son of a bitch. <laughs> he's like, okay, and if I do know where Geraldine is, no problem at all. It's like, she's at the ashram. Like, the where? <laughs> yeah. He gives him a card. And to me, this sequence especially, and kind of just the whole movie in terms of the way it portrays 70s L.A. policing, it really <laughs> reminds me of Inherent Vice. It super does. Like, this this scene in particular, I can just see, I can just imagine Owen Wilson running around in the background going, wow. Yeah. So, they they drive up to Carmel where the ashram is and there there's this guy petting a camel and giving a bullhorn sermon about the evils of meat. Mm-hmm. Uh, camel is, is adorable by the way. Oh, it's so cute. Real uh it it lived there. This is a real place, the Moonfire oh. Temple. Uh and the guy giving the sermon was the guy who owned the place. This was what he was into. This is just like a regular oh, day at like this place. He's just giving like he's actually just giving the sermon. Yeah, this is just this place. Uh, apparently one time, or at least supposedly or mythologically, the Manson family once performed occult rituals there. Um, I had Maybe. you up. I, I was with you until you said occult rituals. Yeah. Manson I family mean, once performed? Yeah, probably. Did they have permission to do it? Probably not. I mean, I would say they probably just burned stuff and, like, had a big acid trip there. And, you know, it became a thing where, like, oh, they burned human remains and stuff. But, you know, it's it's part of the history of the place. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, the, the dude who owns the place is the dude giving the sermon. Uh, and... <laughs> He he's talking to Geraldine Wexter off to the side, and they're all having like this huge hippie freakout while he's doing it in the you background. You know what this scene reminds me of? What is the one in Inspector Ike? Oh yeah, where he's interviewing the guy, and they're doing like the play in the background, 
but in that they're like specifically responding to what his inner monologue would be. Right. Whereas it's this, like, they're just dancing in the background. Yeah, and like the ranch owner is just riding a cow around. <laughs> <laughs> and like Wexter seems to really want to bang him. <laughs> and he does not care. He's so uninterested. I I believe in the original script they did, or at least in the book or something. But Bronson is like, nah. (laughs) I don't appear in scenes with naked women. Another cop? No, I mean like Bronson was like, no. (laughs) Oh right, yeah, yeah, right. (laughs) But yeah, no, like (laughs) the way he shuts her down, I actually kind of like it. It's like, you know, maybe if it were a different place, a different time, yeah, and a different cop. Yeah, I I'm doing some. I, I, I'm in this whole weird thing right now. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to solve a coast-to-coast crime by myself. With very little reason. support. For yeah. With... Very little. Yeah. Uh, so we cut to Balsam again. And he is... This is where we get the Stranieri, uh, the stone killers. Because uh, he, he's justifying it to the other family heads who he's working with. So we're finally getting a little bit like, okay, he has an organization he's working with. Right, yeah, I think I remember they were saying it's like, well, there's only, th- like, three families are working together. Right. Which uh, and isn't so, enough to take over New York, but, you know, that's what he wants to do. Maybe it is enough. Turns out maybe. it is enough. Uh, but, maybe. like, he's he's kind of just trying to justify them, justify the plan to him, because they, it's, it's weird for him to be hiring outside people instead of using their own guys. And he's like, we do this, this is a sort of a historical thing. This is what Lucky Luciano did to take power himself. So we just, you know, we use these guys. That's what they did to us. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, in L.A., the chief, he's been looking into Fred Wexter. And oh my God, he's a black militant. <laughs> oh, hell, he must be the guy. He's like, I'm sure he's our guy, and so does the FBI. Like, he, both every time he comes into a scene, he's like, this is what I think, and the FBI supports me on this. <laughs> in fact, when I told J. Edgar Hoover, he sucked my dick himself. <laughs> and they're like, Daniels, you go. And he's like, can I wait for Bronson to come back? Uh, no! This is kind of his deal. No, absolutely not. I don't want Bronson to do anything about this case, but I won't take him off of it either. And we just see the fallout of the arrest, which is disastrous. It starts a race riot. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and Bronson comes back and the precinct is just in total fucking chaos. It's like, what the hell did you guys do? Oh, my God. <laughs> he, he grabs Matthews and, like, throws him against a wall and, like, you fucking cracker. <laughs> yeah. You brought in an army to talk to this quote-unquote suspect like not even a suspect just some guy with a name <laughs> it's like uh, now, what, did the matthews a... guy was he in i feel like i've seen him before in like 110th street or something very possibly uh he's in lots of stuff uh let me just look it up real quick <laughs> this is such a busy cast ralph wait uh, yeah, he has been in some stuff we've covered. Like, he's most known for being on The Waltons. I think he's the the dad on The Waltons. Okay. And then, like, he was in a lot, like, he was in Days of Our Lives for years. So, oh, wow. Uh, he's Ace Ventura's grandpa. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, 
he was on Carnivale as the Reverend Norman Balthus. Oh, yeah. I think he's like the evil reverend on that. Did you ever see that show? Um, it doesn't ring a bell. It was a really good HBO show set in like a 30s traveling carnival. Ooh, that sounds fun. Yeah. Uh, let's see here. Grissom Gang. You haven't seen that. Uh, no, it doesn't look like it's anything we've covered. But yeah, he's oh, got that sort of face. He's on so much TV. Like you, a lot of that people in this movie are TV. Could be where I think I saw him. Mm, could be. Because like, yeah, I mean, you have Ritter and Norman Fell who went on to Three's Company. Mm-hmm. Uh, a, lot, a lot of TV folks in this one. Uh, but yeah, so Matthews, uh, or, or no, that's right. He he just yells at Matthews a bit, and then he goes to Langley's apartment because it's like, okay, let's go after the first thing they screwed up first. And, and there's John Ritter. <laughs> he's hanging out there, and he berates him a bit. <laughs> it's like, you blew it here, and you blew it at the hospital. So you're coming with me, <laughs> and you're gonna blow it with Janet and Chrissy. <laughs> yeah. He's like, Actually, I don't think he. I, I don't know. The kind of whole point of the show is that you didn't know. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a show about a threesome where in in an era where you couldn't have sex on television or even refer to it. Right. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, he he's like, you screwed it up there. Like, call in to tell them to replace you. You're coming with me. <laughs> I'll teach you how to become a real loose yeah. cannon. It's time for some bad cop rehab. Uh, and they're they're going to a bunch of record stores. And uh, right. they, they have the photo of Langley from like a box of his possessions. Yeah. So a bunch of them recognize him. But it's like, dude, he's just a customer. I don't know his life story. Yeah. I really like the one clerk. It's like, hey, listen, man, he just buys records from me. He doesn't confess. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's like it's like if you see it's like if you found out that he gets breakfast every day at mcdonald's and then ask the mcdonald's guy where he lives like yeah no. yeah totally or like i worked in an hmv and sold records to people and was like hey do you know where this customer is and like are you kidding me do i know where they am <laughs> how would i are? know that no that's, i'll that's tell you crazy. where they aren't they ain't here in the store so i don't know <laughs> yeah my knowledge then begins and ends with the with the in and outdoor yeah so they're they're driving through Watts and there's just people throwing shit at the car everywhere. Tensions are very high. Mm-hmm. And I really like Bronson here, like to to Ritter. It's like, get used to it. You're part of the white power structure, the enemy. <laughs> yeah. And it, he, he so he goes to meet one of his informants. He knows this dude named Wayne and he's like. I'm looking for this jazz guitarist who he knows is someone who Langley has worked with. He's like, why are you looking for him? So I'm looking for this white trombone player. <laughs> it's like, hmm, well, okay, I can find Wayne for you and we can probably locate Langley that way. But Wexter has to be let out. And Ron's is like, it might be over my head. Wayne's like, try. <laughs> this is, you're you're going to get him out and we will help you on this. We'll find your guy, but you know this is bullshit. Mm-hmm. And we we see Balsam again, and he sets the meet. He calls the guys. He's like, okay, we're going to meet up. Uh, we'll we'll have this meeting. I, I want to talk some things over. And oh, like, when should, All right. what, what day should we have it? Oh, I was so, thinking maybe uh, April 10th. I don't know. 
<laughs> just some random day I didn't uh, just have in my back hat. pocket. For, I don't know. For 40 years. <laughs> 42 years. Not the only date I've ever been thinking about. April 10th. I can't on that day. Yeah. Oh, I really wanted a 10th though. <laughs> no, I can't. I got to celebrate an anniversary of the time when my boss did a really <laughs> cool thing. <laughs> Uh, and we cut to a news report saying some other mobster has been shot outside a Long Island home, which is just like something happening external to the plot. There's other hits going on with these hitmen that they're not even catching. It's like, oh, this just happened somewhere else. We're we're totally yeah. out of the loop. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, and he, he goes to see Les, uh, Les Daniels. It's like, you got to let Wexter out. This is my my bargain with the people who are going to help me find Langley, who's actually involved in this thing. Good God. <laughs> and he, he had two shotguns. And like, your brother has three. And he has like a long beans like, OK. <laughs> but he's black and he has two shotguns. I mean, you know, that that is obviously. That, that is, of course, what it is. Yeah. Uh, but he can't argue it. It's like, yeah, I mean, OK. Uh, and he takes Matthews this time. It's time for Matthews to get the bad cop rehab. He's also screwed a couple things up. Well, yeah, still good. He's not going to stop. Yeah, no, he's never going to get better. Uh, no. So they're going to go pick up Langley because uh, Wayne calls him and knows where he's at. There's this uh, jazz session being cut at Sunflower Club. Uh, and they go in and Langley spots Bronson immediately. Yeah. <laughs> He does not look like someone who is at a jazz concert. <laughs> nope. Uh, <laughs> this guy has cop written all over his face. So he grabs a helmet, hops on a motorcycle, and wow, this fucking chase. <laughs> I love this, this chase so much. <laughs> this is ridiculous. I, it's like... <laughs> I believe I just dis- described it uh, two weeks ago when we were... Uh, introducing this as stupidly destructive. <laughs> yeah, there, there's a bit where he just like just steers into a guy who's beside him, who's not involved in the chase. He's just like fuck you in particular. There's a few things like that. So like, I, I have this list of things in, <laughs> okay, in the sequence because cool. it's such a bizarre. So they uh, go I, through. I know I missed things. <laughs> they they go through a street market, and this is just a whole lot of things. Like he he. Just drives through everything. He is not trying to miss a single booth. He's like going for 100% <laughs> He's going completion. 100% completion. Like cages of chickens flying and booths and clothes and everything. Just uh, fruit. Uh, all, all going everywhere. Like the guy's on a motorcycle. He's much more navigable. Uh-huh. <laughs> they go through the wall of an abandoned factory and drive through that place. And he goes out the other side and he like goes off a loading dock and hits a parked car that people are having sex in. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) And then like to get out of the like walled off abandoned building, they go through a corrugated steel wall, barely missing some pedestrians on the sidewalk outside. (laughs) And he's driving his car through all this shit. Just straight through it. Uh, he, (laughs) there's a part where, uh, there, uh, Langley goes around a corner and Bronson to take the corner faster, just drives through someone's garage. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. Or, or like, I, or maybe, uh, it, it might be a gas station. He just drives right through the building and just to take the corner faster. Yeah. Yeah. And he like gets on a ramp. So he goes 
through the windows or, or, or maybe yeah. it's like a car dealership. It looked like it was uh, a, some sort of car garage or something. Yeah, but yeah something he just like, like trashes right through it. Uh, and then the car hits some train tracks and just goes it, like it bend, it wrecks one of the wheels on the car. You see it fishtail and it's like, wow, that car is destroyed. Yeah. <laughs> and they did have to replace the car between shots. They wrecked the car doing this by accident. <laughs> <laughs> and we come back to Matthews, who's at like, who's at the, um, Back oh, at yeah. the club, he's on the phone. He's like, "Well, if I take a taxi to catch up to him, do I pay for it, or does the department pay for it, Chief? I gotta know." <laughs> I, I, it's such a great detail that he's like, "I don't want to have to pay for a taxi. This guy took the car. It's not my fault." <laughs> this, yeah, like, this should be covered. It should be covered. <laughs> But I guess it's also his own fault that he got left behind. <laughs> and you probably don't want to be in the car for this. <laughs> no. No. So Langley lays down the bike and he slides under a semi. And <laughs> Bronson goes around it and he just makes zero attempt to stop. <laughs> he just plows into Langley. Langley goes ragged all over the roof and he just keeps on driving into the front of a store. <laughs> through the building <laughs> and the biggest laugh of the movie for me it cuts to him afterward saying it was an accident less and he's a, a single <laughs> band-aid is being applied comically to his forehead <laughs> and just like absolutely unconvincing he's just sitting there it was an accident, Liz. <laughs> and so, so, so Langley died from this. Oh yeah, he ran him over. They they go to his autopsy. Yeah. And they're like, okay, we've turned up some particles of desert sand and a bus ticket bought in a small town called Mannix. And we cut to Mannix in the desert, where we see a bunch of guys running these blindfolded trials with this mock elevator platform which has an explanation but we don't get it for a while not for a long time until until we see it end yeah Yeah. we'll see it happen it's like oh that's what this was well we're training people on elevator infiltration for reasons and we see that like we're pretty close to setting everything in motion because there's Mr. Lawrence there and he's seeing off a bunch of teams. Like there's a bunch of guys who are shipping out to uh, New York, Chicago, New Orleans and Miami. So these are the 13 other guys. Right. They're all going. Uh, and we, we see Jumper get bailed out of jail. But none of those he... 13 guys got caught at all. No. Holy shit. They, they probably killed all these other mob families in the end yeah. Yeah, they, no they won yeah no he totally yeah. like spoilers viscardi wins <laughs> he does not go down at all like he he is completely successful yeah, <laughs> he's forgiven he is forgiven he gets by a God. redemption arc uh, we'll get to that <laughs> so jumper gets bailed out of jail and he uh <laughs> he, he immediately heads for the, the desert to where like this whole criminal organization is like, what are you doing, Jumper? <laughs> <laughs> this is not where you want to be. Hey, guys, they let me out of jail. And uh, so I can help you guys again. Isn't it great? I can help you. Were you followed by the cops? 
It definitely wasn't followed by any cop cars. It's like helicopter I need you, noises. It's like, listen, I need you to get in this crate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's basically it. It's like, here's a car that you could use. Yeah. So yeah, they they get he gets to Mannix. Uh, we we see Bronson get in a police helicopter, and he is waiting in Mannix for Jumper when he gets there because he knew he knew. <laughs> mm-hmm. And the garage guy talks to Bronson immediately. It's this guy, Hoke Howell, who's also in just tons of TV stuff. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm sure I saw the garage guy before, too, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, he's in all sorts of things. Uh, and he he's like, well, Mr. Lawrence told me to rent uh, the car to, to this man. It's like, oh, Mr. Lawrence, you say. Uh, where might I find him? He's like, oh, he's got this ranch just up the road. I'm like, okay, great. And Bronson starts, gets in the helicopter and heads to the ranch. It's a ranch in the mountains. Yeah, where in the mountains? I don't know. In the mountains. Yeah, I, I, I'm kind of a simple guy, if, if you can't tell. Uh, so he has to find Jumper on the way to get further directions. But Jumper is being met by a couple soldiers who have been sent to meet and kill him. He should have taken that plane ticket to New Orleans that he had. Oh, he really should have. He should not have gone to the airport first, because I think specifically when he talked to Mr. Lawrence at the motel, he's like, forget about your car at the airport. Just we've got another car. Just go to New Orleans. Don't deal with this shit. And I think he made the mistake of going to his car anyways. Well, yeah, that's how he got caught, because he had to get something out of the trunk. Right. Oh, yeah. So he wow. This guy just didn't he blew listen it. to anyone. He, he doesn't know how to criminal. Well, I think that's the thing in this movie is that it's the same for every single character except Balsam. Balsam just sticks by his principles. He's like, I know this plan. I've planned it out for 42 years and it will be perfect. Even like there are so many fail safes in place that we are going to pull this thing off, even if we get caught. But it's Everybody not too else late fails. to stop. <laughs> no, that's part yeah. of the thing. He's using these other soldiers, so he's not even losing any of his own men. Exactly. If it fails, yeah, like, no. it, 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 like it's a great we'll get plan. into it, but it is it is honestly it's a good plan. It is. So uh, the, these guys chase off Jumper because like Jumper gets there and he realizes immediately that these guys are going to attack him. So he takes off. They chase him and the car rolls down an embankment. He gets Hans Molman. They they shoot him uh, uh, yeah, immediately before. Yeah, no. Shot. Yeah, no, they, he, he gets out of the car and one of them shoots him in the shoulder. And uh, the right then Bronson arrives in the helicopter and somehow and this is pretty much an impossible shot. Like while they're flying over with the helicopter, Bronson shoots the guy with the gun. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, that's Bronson's super cop. Super he cop. doesn't miss with bullets. He never misses. So he actually he lands, I don't think he ever does. No, he, he literally never does it in this movie. He, he always hits his target. So he, he goes to Jumper, who's dying, and he, he gives him what he knows. They're at the Wexter Indian house. And it was Mr. Lawrence. So this is where we finally reveal. This is the reveal. Wexter is a place and not a person. Yeah. This is where we learn it. Like maybe what's there left? Like 15 minutes left? Maybe like 20, because there's a yeah. big shootout. Well, yeah, the, the, the shootout is huge. Uh, and a couple of them, actually. Oh, yeah. Because right. there's there's this one here, go. and then there's the big one in the garage. But, but yeah, Jumper's just like, all right, I'm dead. 
these are the things I should have done in the first place and tell you everything. Yeah. So there's this guy, Mr. Lawrence. He's the one who runs the thing at Wexter. And there's this thing with army veterans, but I don't know what it's about. It's for something they're saying for it's some birthday party. And that's all he knows. And he dies. Yeah. Or presumably. I don't know uh, if we see him die, but uh, he. I'm sure he dies. Presumably. But this is the most information we've ever gotten about what the evil plan is. Yeah, and he doesn't even know all of it, but like he's willing to just give all of the pieces he knows, which is good for us to piece some things together by this point. Finally. And so we get a big, huge police raid of the Wexter compound. Our first big shootout. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the soldiers ultimately surrender, uh, and then Bronson, Matthews, and Hart all go into the main compound to go after the main guys. Uh, Matthew, or not Matthews. Uh, uh, oh, yeah, right. It's like, I'll go ahead. You two cover the entrance. Right. I don't want to cover the entrance, though. I'm going to go in. <laughs> yeah, Matthews uh, screws this up very quickly. Um, I think uh, yeah, Mr. Lawrence is the only one who's not here of the top guys, because his second in command, Mr. Champion, is the older dude, and he's there. And I think Man, that's what you call your sec that that's a good name <laughs> Mr. for Champion? a second in command to have. That's a good one. I uh, like that. Mr. Champion. Yeah. Uh and I think Graham, the other assassin, I think Bronson shoots him here. Like the, the assassin who was at who who assassinated Gustav. Oh, right, right. I think that's who he shoots. He shoots two guys here. He he shoots one guy who's on a balcony and then uh Mr. Champion like Matthew's just I don't want to wait and he, he just like randomly leaves the room so hard is alone and he gets shot yeah champion uh shoots him and then Bronson kills champion uh this is that cool one where he like hops up and he like kicks the door yeah he he keeps he kicks it like just nudges it first and then <laughs> and all the bullets come through so he like a cat like this is a really cool jump he jumps up on the desk that's beside the door just like a full just jumps four feet in the air is great yeah yeah and then like kicks it from the side so it opens but he's not in front of it and the guy just shoots and shoots and shoots and then bronson comes in and kills him well and and he he leans in from his position his higher position because he doesn't because like the guy's aiming at like you know the center of gravity where someone where chest level would be yeah yeah so like Like, yeah he blows him away this is clever why has nobody done this before or since yeah. Uh, so they they know they heard Champion calling New York while they were coming in. So they know this is associated with something happening in New York. They find all the plane tickets to all of the different places. And we know like the New York guys are headed there. Yeah. Uh, and Bronson goes back to New York. He Again. meets up with Guido, uh, Again. Uh, his, his guy. Hey, Bronson, it's been another 10 years. How's it going? <laughs> <laughs> uh they they check in with jd who doesn't know a lot but he's like listen all i hear is there's something big about to go down something that's going to change everything i was like cool <laughs> uh-huh. you don't know more than that like sorry guys i'm gone out of the movie bye-bye <laughs> <laughs> everybody's so uptight you couldn't pull a pin out of their ass with a tractor with a tractor yeah uh and we, we cut to Balsam and the, his guy's like, 
they they've uncovered it what are we 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 gotta we gotta stop this like we can't stop it uh, it's too late we can't turn this back now what am i gonna do say hey sorry guys i was gonna massacre the lot of you but the timing's off yeah we 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 had a mishap we'll we'll just have to reschedule your massacre for later and like come on are you stupid we're gonna go through with it what Don't are we worry. gonna do not massacre them on april 10th yeah I massacre mean, them on april, april 11th well, I guess they're already there. Like, it is April there, 10th, yeah. and it's like, well, if I call if it off I, and reschedule it now, they're going to be like, why did you do it then? What What was this about? Like, Yeah, then i got to come up kill with a reason why I had this yeah. meeting. I, I'm not a very good liar. I, I, can't, I can't improv that well. I'm mostly an exposition guy. Don't you understand? <laughs> <laughs> if they ask me what this was all about, I'll end up telling them. And we, we cut to Bronson looking through old microfilm, and he, he finally finds April 10th, 1931. They're, they're going through April 10th because they know that's the date. Yeah, what, did, what was the thing called? The, like the Sicilian Versailles or something? Uh, the, the Sicilian Vespers. Mm. The Night of the Sicilian Vespers, I think. Uh, but yeah, this, this huge 1931 massacre is like, this is it. And they're like, I don't know. 42 years is an odd number to choose. Why would they wait 42 years? And like, I'm sure about it. It's like, do you got any major mobsters in town? Like, yeah, there's this guy Mossman and Vachetti are both here. It's like, you better tail both of them. Like, it's going to come back on us bad if we do that. Like, you're going to want to do it. So the meeting is going down and we see all of the police suiting up because they know something is going to go down. But are they going to warn anyone? Of course not. <laughs> warn them? How are you going to get the caller if you don't catch people in the act? So Mossman and Vachetti arrive in this parking garage and we see soldiers under the elevator and suddenly it's all coming together. And it's like, oh, it's going to happen. They were practicing for this. This is this is where it's going to happen. Uh, and the, the Mossman and Vachetti go up to the top floor and they meet with the other heads. And there's like, oh, who's missing? I'm like, oh, it looks like uh, Viscari hasn't shown up yet. And that's unusual. <laughs> yeah. And the elevator team come up through and downstairs, another team arrives and takes out all of their drivers and bodyguards in the parking garage. Mm hmm. Uh, yeah, like posing as mechanics or something. You're the one with the bent axle? Bent mm. axle? No, what do you even... Blam! Blam! And just, they, they take them all out very quickly. Yeah. And then the gunmen burst into the conference room, and what a massacre. You see one guy die three times. <laughs> yeah. Um, is, is this where one guy gets out the window, or is that Yeah, later? that's this. Oh, I love that moment. They, they shoot this guy, and he crashes through the window, which is funny on that side and then even funnier when he becomes a dummy on the outside this is a really good dummy fall like they don't one of the best one of yeah. the all-time like you see it doesn't cut away for the impact either it's you see him Man. come out the top window and go all the way and hit the hit the ground and it's so funny and he bounces a bit it goes bam awesome uh, uh. and yeah, they, they just massacre all the bosses. I, I think it's Mossman. You see him get blown away, and he's very much dead. And then you see him get blown away again, and he's really <laughs> dead. And then they go through the room, and they shoot everyone again. And he, like, oh, yeah, jumps up they, and like, ugh. 
<laughs> yeah, that's right. They're, they're doing like their last shots to make sure. They make very sure. They go through and they put a gun to their heart and shoot them again. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the police arrive. <laughs> Too late. Little bit. A little uh, bit late. Huge firefight at the parkade. Just such chaos. Uh, like, this is a gigantic sequence, and, like, it's impossible to discuss here because it's just cars crashing and Everything people shooting. Just happens. And things on fire. Oh, and it's we get just a really dummy falling space. down a stairwell. Oh, that one's so good. Uh, yeah, he, like, hits the railing, a few of the railings on the way down. It's like, awesome. Uh, yeah, everybody is like all of the Vietnam vets are massacred. Uh, only Mr. Lawrence is taken alive because he gets out at the very end and he comes out and like, oh, there's just this huge square of cops waiting for me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that is that Balsam goes to confession. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, the end of he the won. movie is the mob boss going to confession and saying, I shit you not. Uh <laughs> I, I'm confessing because I struck my son in anger and I swore at my wife and there's some other things I don't remember. Well, <laughs> you're absolved. You're absolved. It's like uh, some of those things I just don't want to talk about. Uh, <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, I mean, I understand. Say some Hail Marys or whatever. And uh, while he's giving his confession, it's intercut with Bronson just sitting in a car reciting violent crime statistics. <laughs> Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> I forgot about that bit. And then he's like, I, you know that old show or cartoon or whatever where there's um, where the there's lions. the lions and, it's, the, and the guys the Romans goes to the, waiting to uh, the lions versus the Christians in the Coliseum. Yeah. yeah, and he's like, you got five minutes, Christians. <laughs> and then the end comes up and it's like, what? <laughs> it's like, so hold on. Did you just look at the camera and say all cops are bastard and Christianity is evil. Like it, it kind of feels like it's this really weird ending. Mm. Like, yeah, I mean the whole system's bad. You see, well, so <laughs> long you... folks. <laughs> <laughs> but how would you know? You never followed the system. You just break <laughs> things. But it's, it's such a bizarre ending. Cause like, again, this is made parallel to Serpico and Serpico is a very serious and realistic movie. And this is like this weird discordant jazzy thing that still kind of comes to the same conclusion at the end, despite its character being totally oppositional. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, Serpico would hate Bronson. Oh, they would not get along, but like they both feel that the system is bad. <laughs> Just, in different ways. They they work at it in totally different approaches. But yeah, absolutely fascinating. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, that, that was crazy. It's a good, good movie. Uh, like, very underseen. Uh, this is from... Uh, the disc we watched was the Twilight Time disc, which is out of print. I think it was a numbered edition or something. Like, I, I think it says on it, limited edition, right on the cover. Uh, oh, yes. Limited edition series. Because uh, Twilight Time is actually a label that doesn't really exist anymore. Oh, okay. Uh, but yeah, uh, fascinating movie. I kind of hope it comes back into print so more people can see it because it's so weird. Like, it's it's uh, pre-Bronson really big. Like, this is just before Death Wish and he becomes the Death Wish guy. So 
it's sort of like a weird false start for them trying to do a death wish thing and like they wanted this to be a franchise (laughs) (laughs) they wanted to have a series where he just goes to different cities and cleans up crime but he didn't clean up crime i'm an lapd cop he screwed up he didn't succeed no he didn't succeed and you know what else he didn't do after that one conversation his daughter never gets mentioned by anybody no no he definitely never bothered to go see the daughter (laughs) yeah like i forgot that he had one he just had to go see that painting a couple times. It's very. Oh yeah, right. We we did. Cu- <laughs> there were a few other points where he uh, looked at the painting that we didn't talk about. Had to look at Satan devouring his son and going to a fugue. Yeah, what what a fascinating movie. Like just very strange uh, for a, a cop movie in '72. Because like we've watched a couple from this era now, like this across 110th Street. Uh, this and Serpico are all like the same time in New York City, and they're all very wildly different takes on it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This is a lot more. It still comes off as a little bit more pro cop than Serpico does. I agree. I and mean, because Serpico is like anti cop is the point. Yeah. Serpico. This one, it's just kind of like this weird sideline. It's like, is that what they're saying? Because <laughs> the movie didn't say any of this until his monologue at the end is like, is is that what you've been trying to say, really? <laughs> yeah, I guess. And it's oh man, I just what a what a weird ride. And like the the way it's structured, like how it does not feel like they changed anything from the novel in terms of the order of things appearing. <laughs> like, yep. You do not condense scenes or characters. You're just going to get a huge shambling journey there. And uh, people will figure it out as they get there. It doesn't matter. So many and it scenes works. don't go anywhere. Like like the um, the hippies. The hippies. And like JD, they he never gives them any information. He's just a fun character to hang out with for a oh, couple Oh yeah, that's true. He never tells them anything that they don't already know. I mean, most people don't give them any information. They're just fumbling along and they end up just a few steps behind and they never get there. All right. I'll tell you everything I know because I'm because I'm dying. It won't help you because I don't know anything. But, you know, that's everything. I can I can give you directions to the place you're trying to get. And that's it. But there's this guy, Mr. Lawrence, and there's Vietnam vets involved. You'll find that out when you get there, when there's the Vietnam vets that you attack. (laughs) (laughs) this guy mr lawrence who owns the place like okay (laughs) watch Uh, out for mr champion mr champion will get you (laughs) Uh, uh, yeah like uh, mr contender mr contender jumper good names too jumper names yeah champion Lawrence's man. Uh, Lou well, Torrey was Bronson's character's name. <laughs> just call him Charles Bronson. You might as I, well. He is always playing Bronson. Like he has a Bronson style and it is the character he's playing. And it's just sort of Bronson himself. It's like why he won't appear with a naked woman. He's not going to do all of these certain things. Like he's very particular. Hmm. And I think like he also refuses to swear. Like he very rarely. Really? Swears. Like, I can't think of any in this movie, right? That's – no, I think you're right. Yeah, um, yeah you're right. He, I don't think – I don't think he even uses any racist terms. Oh, he he's strongly against that. Like, he, he tells like that he one cop off Like, he does call the other guy – yeah. Yeah. But I, I wasn't sure if that was performative or anything or – but I don't feel so. I don't think it is now. 
Yeah. This is just a very interesting character. And just, I love Bronson. I, I love Bronson movies because they're all this character. Just <laughs> in some situation or another, like the world around him might change a bit, but it's still him. This ain't over. This ain't over. And like the Death Wish movies get so highly escalated. Like the, the first one is very down to earth and is like this sort of interesting examination of the vigilante. And then like the second one is really nasty. Uh, what and then movie was it where it's like the eighties guy gets hit in the chest with, I don't know if it was death wish, but it, he gets hit in the chest with a rocket launcher out of, out the window. I believe that is three. Yes. <laughs> okay. That is, I, I thought so. Three is incredibly heightened. He just like moves into a neighborhood where there's a bunch of teen criminals and he, befriends all the senior citizens who live there and they like strike back and have a war on crime like an actual right. active war on crime uh and then four i think there's a part where he kills someone outside a roller rink with a bazooka like it it, <laughs> it, it escalates you know uh, so hey, any last I'm the punisher <laughs> i would love bronson as the punisher like dolph lundgren as the punisher was good but mm, bronson as the punisher mm. <laughs> It'd be a different kind. He wouldn't. He wouldn't look like the comic book, but it'd be fine. Now, oh, oh my God! Now I'm actually imagining him in the spandex Punisher suit. <laughs> yeah, he's. Oh, that that would be weird. He's not a spandex kind of guy. It would feel like. It would feel like '66 Batman Punisher. Kinda, yeah. I mean, like he wouldn't have that tone, but it would be just like, huh? Yeah, that, it would just be a strange look. Like, I can't imagine him in a costume. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> He's a man who wears a suit every hour of every day. I've never seen yep. anything else. <laughs> yep. Uh, so any final thoughts on The Stone Killer before we move on to our final part? Uh, no, I, I think we've covered everything. All right. And we're back for part three, where we're going to talk about some movies watched in the past couple weeks, because we uh, had uh, uh, just the mini soda Wild Boys in between. So we've got a bit of a longer list than usual. All right. What, what do we got? So we've got 13 options for our second feature next week. And first up is Cruel Jaws, uh, <laughs> sometimes marketed as Jaws 5. <laughs> this is very strange movie uh hazy bizarre it's like a dream uh there's this guy who looks like hulk hogan i think of him as bulk bogan <laughs> okay he he just looks exactly like him and he's running an aquatic performance show like he's got a couple dolphins and stuff and like they do tricks right on and he's got a daughter who's in a wheelchair and he's fighting a greedy land developer and it's Kind of like if you had sort of a dream about Jaws where Hulk Hogan was fighting a land developer as part of the plot. Okay. <laughs> like almost all of the shark footage. In fact, yeah, I'd say 95% of the shark footage is stolen from other movies. It does not steal the Jaws score. It does steal actual shots from Jaws and it steals the Star Wars score. <laughs> What? <laughs> like the big scene where you, they're they're like going out into ocean to hunt for the shark, you know, like the, they they do that scene from Jaws, like you right. know, the 
but they have the Star Wars fanfare playing when they do that instead. It's like, let's steal some different John Williams music. You can't steal any John Williams music. Everything he makes is iconic. I I like it's so blatant. It's like, why are you stealing the Star why Wars fanfare this? here? You stole the more famous one. Yeah. <laughs> and the one that's not to do with sharks. That's not intrinsically in everyone's mind is doing with sharks. Uh, it's completely bizarre. I love it. Uh, it's such a blast. It's just a very strange, hazy, dreamy experience. Like nobody acts like a real person. The dialogue is very absurd and heightened. Uh, I love it. I love it. <laughs> it's special right to me. <laughs> nice, nice. Uh, next up is The Pit. This is sort of a formative movie for me, as I've mentioned before. Uh, I saw this when I was like seven or eight for the first time. And it's a killer kid movie. It's oh. this, this, it's a Canadian maid. And it's this kid named Jamie who finds a pit in the woods. And it's got uh, what he calls trollologues. Uh, and they're just like these beasts in a pit that eat people. <laughs> So people he doesn't like, he just gets them in the pit. He like he there's this old lady down the street who is mean to him and he takes her wheelchair and he just like runs her through the forest and dumps her in there. Uh, there's some kids he doesn't like and he pushes them in there, too. All right. <laughs> uh, also, he is lusting after his babysitter. He's a very creepy, precocious kid. Uh and he is always chatting with his evil, glowing-eyed teddy bear who tells him to do bad things. Oh, weird like movie. start fires and such? Uh, more, you should kill them all. You should put them all in the pit and let the monsters eat them. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> uh, or, uh, why don't you uh, film your neighbor naked and then blackmail her? That kind of thing. Mm. Next up is Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. Three more days till Halloween, Halloween, Halloween. However many more days till Halloween, Silver Shamrock. I fucking love Halloween 3. I, it is absolutely the is second best great. in the series. Um, like, this movie to me feels like the Christmas movie of Halloween movies. Well, I think specifically it's like a put Christ back in Christmas movie, but for Halloween and the Druids, like mm. put tricks back in Halloween. It, it, it Actually, feels very yeah. satirical in that sense. Well, that, that's the whole. Oh, it's very the whole plot. He's, he, yeah. yeah, like the whole plot. He's like, I'm just playing a trick on the children. It's funny. Yeah, I, we got to put Halloween back to like its classic Druid roots and make it scary again. And that you'll never guess how I got this piece of Stonehenge here. I had a hell of a time. And like it's it's very satirical on that level, and it's also like we need to make Halloween scary again. And it's also the sort of this John Carpenter thing, like the Halloween series is not scary with two being just oh yeah, there's Michael. We, yeah, we can't Michael do that, could so we have to do a different exactly. plot. Michael could be anywhere. Oh no, actually there he is. You're safe. Yeah, because you're not there. And like it's. The, the the movie seems like it's reacting against itself like it's it's so anti-sequel like uh, there's the part where there's a teaser for the first halloween movie and like the the legendary classic halloween and then immediately after that is when you first hear one of the silver shamrock commercials hmm. like it is followed by it and it's like the, these is the same advertising we are just pushing pushing you we want your money 
Uh, and notably, most of the villains are just hordes of identical robotic men in suits with baby food for blood, which really oh, seems yeah, like a commentary to me. I, for, I forgot all about the robots. Yeah, and that seems like a commentary to me from and like a Carpenterian <laughs> commentary on like uh, the way a franchise is run. And like you have a whole studio behind you who have very particular ideas about how things need to be. <sighs> it is a good one. I really like I this love one. it so much. Uh, next up is Murder in a Blue World. Uh, this is a knockoff of Clockwork Orange, okay. uh, also known as Clockwork Terror. It's a Spanish movie. And so Clockwork Orange like that, you know, it's got this white panel dystopian future world. And there are three youths who drive around in a dune buggy with whips and terrorize people, break into houses and just bust up the place. Right. And one of them happens to witness a nurse who is disposing of a body because she's an angel of mercy serial killer. And it becomes a giallo based on Clockwork Orange, where he is following this nurse around and the nurse is involved with these behavior modification experiments. So it's not a good idea for him to be following her around when she's also a serial killer. Okay, that sounds really interesting. It's pretty good. Uh, next up is Batman and Robin. <laughs> oh, wow. Freeze. Uh, he is the best part of the movie by far, like by so oh. many miles. He is oh, so sad. fun. I love Schwarzenegger in this. He is having a blast. <laughs> uh, there's there's like my absolute favorite moment in the movie is they're giving his origin story. And just in the background, you see on like a monitor him just like it, it's a video of the accident where he just like flips upside down into a vat. <laughs> like I laughed so hard at that. <laughs> I fell off the couch laughing at it. Uh, right on. Uh, but like it's so much messier than batman forever there's just way too many characters like you add oh, yeah batgirl. we gotta introduce batgirl too and then we got poison three villains. Ivy. there's three oh, villains yeah, there's, there's also bane there's bane in name only in name only yeah like he just shouts the word bane and that is all he, he he's does like, he's, he's dumb like bane an, he's he's like Bane with the personality of the Incredible Hulk. Yeah, he's Bane very smash. Hulky. Yeah. Uh, I forgot about Bane. And George Clooney is Batman, and he does not look happy to be in the movie at any point. Like, he looks like he's regretting taking the role in every scene he's in. <laughs> and, like, there's this whole subplot with Robin feeling underappreciated, and it's just tired, and they don't need it. And, like, I love all the Schwarzenegger stuff, but I feel like it's kind of a mess around it. But wasn't Batman Forever the Robin doesn't feel appreciated around the Batcave arc? Did, well, didn't no, that one do that, too? Only very briefly. This continues it for an entire movie. Oh. Yeah, needless. Uh, not good. But, like, I, I enjoy it a lot more than I used to. Like, this is a movie that I used to hate. But Schwarzenegger is so much fun in this, and I can't hate it. And, like, you know, all okay. the neon aesthetics are pretty fun. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah it goes, like, way over the top in this one, even oh, over very, Batman Forever, doesn't it? Totally, totally, much more. Uh, it's much more 66 Batman in terms of its aesthetics. It loses a lot of the Tim Burton gothic gothicness. But does it have the boiling acid? Sadly, no boiling acid or that guy. Uh, next up is Miami Connection, or uh, also known as Escape from Miami. This is the cut I watched. I watched the original cut finally. 
somehow in my brain, every time I hear Miami Connection, I think that you're talking about Malibu Express. Okay, yeah. So Miami Connection is the one where we have our Taekwondo soft boy orphans in a rooming house <laughs> who have a band right, together. Against the ninja. Against the ninja. They they sing songs about friendship, sincerity, and fighting evil ninjas. <laughs> yeah, right, right. I I've there's a lot that I've seen in this uh, list this week. Yeah. So they they have to fight their evil ninja drug cartel. It's such a strangely innocent movie. The the weird thing is this Escape from Miami. This is the original cut, and it has just a total downer ending. Oh, really? Yeah, it just ends a couple scenes earlier and has like just an extra scene where a character dies, and that's how it ends. It's like, wow, that's so bleak considering how goofy and silly this movie is. It also has a few more scenes of them performing as the band or just like hanging out. It's kind of cute, but I do prefer the final cut more, for sure. Okay. The Miami Connection cut that people are more familiar with. Right, right. Uh, but yeah, I mean, if we did that, we could do either of them or both. Uh, next okay. up is Venom. 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 I don't know the song. I just know that. Uh, it's not far off that. Uh, the, the the effects in this movie are so squishy. Uh, we, I talked about this last week when we were discussing Wild Boys, is that it's got that same sound as when his dick fell off <laughs> all the time. It's gross. Yes. <laughs> uh, so Tom Hardy as Eddie Brock, and he's a loser. <laughs> that's that's the story he's a loser he's a failed investigative reporter and then the venom symbiote is also a loser <laughs> i just remember like that's how they bond the eddie brock like the brief monologue from spider-man the animated series where mm. he blames everything on peter parker and spider-man yeah and, and this like, thing he cost me everything my job my girlfriend my health well like that's the bizarre thing that it's a venom movie on a character who is entirely centered on fighting Spider-Man and Spider-Man is the reason he's so mad. Spider-Man Spider -Man is the reason Venom exists entirely. And there is no Spider-Man in this movie. So it's just this guy who's a bad investigative reporter who's gotten dumped by his girlfriend and he gets infected with this space symbiote who is also a loser. <laughs> and they like bond again. It's like Eddie. I've got to tell you, on my planet, I was also a bit of a loser. <laughs> what? Uh, okay, I, I didn't know about that angle. It's so weird. Like, it's kind of a weird, sweetly innocent movie. It feels like a, a comic book movie made in, like, 1998. If it came out in 1998 concurrent with Blade, I would have loved it so much. <laughs> like, at that time, it would have been my favorite movie of all time. See, you've actually made me more interested. Yeah, I kind of do. Like, I like it. It was better than I expected. And, like, you've got Elon Musk as the villain, basically. A guy who is completely just based on Elon Musk. Yeah. Uh, Venom just likes to... He sometimes eats people, uh, but he also likes tater tots a lot. And chocolate. <laughs> okay. It's, it's so weird. Uh, next up is Double Agent 73. <laughs> Ah, another Chesty Morgan joint. Chesty Morgan. Uh, this time she's a secret agent, and she has a camera and a bomb implanted in one of her breasts. And she's going undercover in a heroin ring. So you showed me a clip of this, and she <laughs> squeezes her tit, and it makes the camera sound. 
yeah every time you click 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 she by like just sort of goosing it uh and that that hilarious part where like she swings her breasts and hits a guy with them and like knocks him out and like knocks him flying across the room <laughs> and it makes the camera noise when she hits him <laughs> so funny oh. uh next up is halloween four the curse of michael myers which this, returns okay, this to is michael first, myers the first halloween that i ever saw really oh yeah I, I this is one I, I thought like, it was like H2O, but no, I remember this subtitle, The Curse of Michael Myers. OK, so this one, it's weird. It came out 10 years later because the franchise committed suicide. Like uh, number two is like Michael is firmly dead at the end of two. You see his burning skeleton on a floor. Uh, and I like it better when they just look over the balcony and he's not there. <laughs> It, yeah, I mean, that, that sort of thing is like two with Carpenter sort of involved. He's like, I don't want there to be more of these. I'm not interested in doing more of these. He needs to be very firmly killed at the end. So he's really dead. They, uh, they end work, the story. No, it did not work. And because they did number three and nobody liked it and it killed the series. So 10 years later, they revive it. And I, it's just it's I don't like them putting more lore on michael that that's a problem for me and that that's sort of a yeah doesn't he end up being like jamie lee curtis's brother yes uh and it, between two and four uh we're to understand that she died in a car accident but she had a kid named jamie uh so there's this girl danielle harris who plays jamie and she's very likable she's kind of the main character she's like okay and like 10 year old or something so she's the main character, which is sort of weird. Uh, and then you've got Donald Pleasance, who is doing a whole lot. He's very drunk. Uh, he's having <laughs> a lot of fun. He's got a bunch of silly makeup on his face because he was supposed to get real badly burned up at the end. He <laughs> definitely died at the end of two, but they brought him back and he's just got some silly burns on one side of his face. And he is gone full tilt crazy. Uh, oh, I got better. Yeah, he, he's just going to shoot anybody who looks sort of like Michael. Uh, Michael has become a phenomenon and like teenagers dress up as Michael. So there's a bunch That's of. That's what yeah. he was trying to prevent. Exactly what he was trying okay. to prevent the first one. Yep, it's happening. Uh, it's pretty dumb. It's very thinly plotted. It doesn't make a lot of sense, but it's kind of fun. Like it's it's clearly just remixing the first one it's it's far enough from the first one that it like it's a full decade of slasher films it's the end of the 80s right, so it's right. like we know what works this is like the iconography of this has had time to settle so it's not like the other slasher series where like we're picking up and they're kind of making up as they go along it's like we know what makes michael tick in the public eye so we're just going to put all of that in there right but they gave him backstory, though. Michael needs to not have that's, backstory. That's what makes him work. That's the bad thing. And and that that's sort of the thing that's kind of inescapable from them making sequels, which is sort of a problem. Like, yeah, he's hunting after a little girl who's his sister's daughter. Uh, so, yeah, he's hunting after his niece, even though he's just this giant murder man. <laughs> it's like, why, why are you after a small girl? What What is that the plot of? I don't know. It's weird. Isn't Jamie Lee Curtis, like, alive in later movies anyway? Sometimes? Well, that's the problem with these series is the there's so many different timelines. Halloween H2O erases everything after two or maybe everything after one. No, I think it's two. 
Right. I, I do remember seeing a chart of like which sequels acknowledge which originals, and it is really complicated. Yeah, because like Halloween 2018 acknowledges one, but not two through nine or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Weird. Uh, like, I don't love it, but it's interesting. I kind of enjoyed it more this time, sort of approaching it the same way as I was with the Friday the 13th ones when we were talking about them. How I'm just kind of choosing my canon. It's like, okay, these are spin-off movies and they are non-canonical. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. Like Elseworld Michael Myers. Exactly. It's like, Michael well, on the planet of hats. Michael's sister lover. The, the Michael's sister years are, are these Ooh. later ones. And I don't really care for that, but it's like, okay, I guess that's the, the sister series. Fine, whatever. Look, not every franchise, long-running franchise, is going to hit it out of the park with all their arcs. Step Michael, what are you doing? Oh, no. Oh. <laughs> uh, so next up is Videophobia, uh, wherein there's this lady in Japan. She works as, you know, one of those street mascots. You stop and take a picture with her. She, she's in a bunny costume. Right. Like a full body uh, costume where you can't see her face or anything. But like her whole her whole business is, you know, having people take pictures with her. Right. There's the scene. She goes to a club. She hooks up with some dude. And the next day she finds it, she finds uh, their sex uploaded to a website that like the video, uh, he, he taped it and put it up. Bastard. Yeah. And like a, you know, revenge porn type thing. Right. And well, right. Yeah. She, she goes to find the guy and she can't find him. It was an Airbnb that he pretended was his like high end apartment. Like he pretended to be this really rich dude. Mm. And there's no legal recourse. Like she talks to people like, well, I mean. If you didn't tell me it was you, I wouldn't expect that it, this is you. Like, I don't you don't even seem like the same person and they, they can't do anything about it. And it makes her kind of start to disassociate from her own image. And oh. she like uh, kind of takes extreme measures to, like, become a different person. Strange movie. Very interesting. Interesting. And, you know, because she's someone who her job is to have people take pictures with her. She goes out in this costume and, like, people are trying to take pictures with her. And she's just kind of, like, she's weirded out by it now. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Neat. Uh, next is Orca, the killer whale. <laughs> the most demented and the best Jaws knockoff. Oh, really? Okay. Uh, so it's an orca instead of a shark. And instead of being the villain, it's the hero. Man okay. is the bad guy. Uh, oh, well, Richard yeah. Harris. <laughs> mm. Richard Harris, who played Dumbledore in the first two Harry Potter movies. Uh, he's this crazy fisherman who's very full of himself. And uh, he thinks, oh, I'm going to catch an orca to sell it to a zoo. And I'll probably make loads of money. I'm sure I can do it. Uh, I'll just go out there and we'll, we'll hook up a spear and we'll uh, bring it in. Which does not figure work. it out from there. Yeah, and there's like a marine biologist who's like, don't do that. That's stupid. You're going to just kill an orca, and uh, I, I don't want you to do this. He's like, no, no, I know what I'm doing. Uh, and he up, goes out and he doesn't Hooper. know what he's doing. Yeah, he screws it up. Uh, he he nicks the, the fin on the male, and he gets the female who is... Uh, who has a calf or who is pregnant with a calf, he pulls it up and like, he's totally botched. It's badly hurt. It's bleeding terribly. And it's like in trauma and it traumatically miscarries on the ship. Ooh. And we see 
the other orca it's I watching it and seeing Harris and just like we frequently see the eye seeing Harris at various points in the movie. And like it's just the rest of the movie, the orca coming to the town and destroying the town and destroying his house. And like, you got to come back out to see and fight me, bro. <laughs> it's crazy. It's it's totally demented. It's awesome. <laughs> uh, next up is eight diagram pole fighter. Uh, which and we watched this one together. Well, you cut I watched half, half of it. Yeah. Uh, I, I would say this is my favorite Kung Fu movie over the ones we've watched in the past year or so. Uh, it's just so unbelievably action-packed. I wish I didn't sleep on this one, actually, because <laughs> uh, that second half was insane. It's like There's like these these training dog dummies and like the poles. And like the whole point is you got to knock everybody's teeth out with the pole. And I guess there's a thing where there's like the evil advisor like massacred brothers one through five. Yeah. And six and seven are still out there. No, five and six, five and six lived. That's are the right. one who are there. Uh, yeah. And it's just sort of them working towards getting their revenge. Just total momentum. There is no scene in the movie that doesn't have fighting. And the, the, the fights are cool. Like there's oh, one the where there's so rad. There's like the, the last one is in this room where they set up all these like, tiered coffins and they have guys hiding in the coffins and there's like people popping out of them they're moving them around and they bring in they they use one of the dog statues as a battering ram and then they're fighting with that too yeah and then like in the final scene where he uses the pole the way he was trained to like take out their teeth so they can't attack it is so bloody there are so many just don't eat pole just teeth spraying through the air so many times and like that that seems to be headbutt someone and ends up with all their teeth stuck in the top of his head incredible yeah yeah. awesome uh yeah my my favorite so far like even better than five fingers of death in my opinion uh so good uh and last up is black candles Uh, this is a jose ramon laraz movie about satanic sex sex rituals uh lots of them oh <laughs> it's it's just uh these these people there's no story they, these two people go to an estate where there's the the sister-in-law of one of them and she has a coven and it's just like a whole bunch of sex rituals there's one with a goat uh there's one where a guy gets a sword up his butt uh, just tons of atmosphere, tons of sex, uh, no story at all. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I I had fun with it, but it's like, if you're into Jose Ramon Laraz, you'll like it, but it's a very specific style. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. So so it might not be my thing. Yeah, you should see probably some other Laraz first. I do have most of his filmography that's available. Okay. Uh, so what do you think for out of those 13 for our pick next week? And I, well, I feel you may have thing. questions because these are tough. <laughs> you kind of sold me on all of them. There's some good stuff here. I, I had a fun with a lot of these this week. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I have seen a more few. of these than usual. So Halloween 4, Miami Connection, Batman and Robin, half of eight, Halloween Dark, Fighter, Halloween 3. Yeah, so I'm... Right now, though, mm. I'm leaning towards videophobia. Interesting. It's a it's a very good movie. It's it's very uh like the, the strange thing is like it's sort of abstract in a way that's like 
you you uh you have no sense of her inner monologue you just kind of have to guess at what she's thinking because while she does sort of strange things the while she's just kind of dissociating like there's no thoughts she very rarely speaks except when she's talking to like uh the the social worker the police the one time and mostly she's just kind of like sorry go ahead Oh, so so it's kind of like kind of like Bronson just staring at the Saturn devouring his son and you just got to guess what what she's thinking. Kind of like that for a lot of the movie, like the whole movie has that sort of Bronson fugue state uh, feeling like it's it's her in a fugue state for the whole movie after she sees this thing. But it kind of feels like she's already in this weird sort of netherworld through the whole thing. Like it's, it's cool because it's shot, you know, on the streets of. Uh, I think it's like Shibuya and it's just like the, this maximalist area, but it's all in like stark black and white. Okay. That's pretty cool. Yeah, cool. Let's let's do that one. All right. Video phobia for our second film. Uh, we only have uh, surprisingly four additions to the, the main stacks. Uh, so oh, actually, I wanted to talk briefly. Oh, please. Did you yeah. end up. Because I watched Crumbs, the other movie. Oh yeah, let's by, talk about Crumbs. Uh, I haven't rewatched it, but I've seen it before. Uh, by by the guy who did Jesus Shows You the Way to the Highway that we just Miguel Lanso, yeah, yeah, uh, with the same main actor, mm-hmm. uh, Daniel Tedesse or Tedesse. Yeah, completely different vibe. A very different style, uh, but like I, I would say it's a similar vibe, but a different concept. Like yeah, this is like a. A post-apocalypse, a lot of it's it's all atmosphere. Very, very moody. Uh, people just sort of raking through the coals of what's left of humanity, and you have no idea what happened or why. Yeah, and actually, yeah, we don't find out. Yeah, there's just this big spaceship, and yep. people want to get on it. It's some people it might do. Be some people, some people want to get on it. Some people don't know it's there. Mm-hmm. Um, Santa Claus makes an appearance, but he's kind of a bad guy. It seems like maybe. Well, maybe it's it, it's complicated. Everybody's kind of complicated. It's it's a hard scrabble post apocalyptic world where everybody's kind of like playing with toys. Like you know, there's yeah. that you, you see a Donatello <laughs> toy in guy. space. Yep, <laughs> and like like the pawn shop guy is describing all these toys and how they were used in the. Mulligan War of the Third Century, and he just completely under offers the <laughs> best I could do you is three grand. Yeah, I was like, come on, what a ripoff! I was like, it's a legendary weapon, and like, it's a toy. <laughs> uh, yeah, they do that thing when our hero is explaining what his quest is. It's we're seeing it through the perspective of a guy who's like deaf, so we're only getting every other word. Right. Yeah, it, it's it's a strange style piece. Like, it doesn't have the same sort of, like, high energy and, like, the, the no. sort of bit-pop craziness, but... No, this feels like, like, a, like a solemn hero's journey. But it still derives from the same place of just, like, this weird uh, fusion of cultures. And, like, it's mm-hmm. it's pulling from... It, it's, like... This it's it's futuristic, but it's like the world kind of ended where we are now, and it's sort of like the crumbs of you know everything left from the present day, uh, sort of in this weird uh, like dystopian or not even dystopian, just kind of like post-human future. Like 
the world feels abandoned. Yeah, it just feels like nobody's there anymore. There's, There are, I think, only about five humans, five or six humans in the whole thing. Something and like no that. evidence that anyone else is, like, living behind the scenes. Yeah. Really, uh, so, yeah, just really super, weird. Very super interesting. Cool. Like, I, I like it a lot. I, I would say that Jesus Shows You the Way to the Highway is more accessible and probably more fun, but I like both of them quite a bit. Yeah, I, I do think Jesus Shows You the Way to the Highway is the better movie, but... I mean, certainly but, I, I mean, uh, if you more... get the one, it comes with the other one. Well, if you get the limited edition version anyway, I don't know if that's oh. still available. Uh, uh, probably, probably. Like, I, I don't know if they've gone to a second print of that yet. Uh, but yeah, recommended. Uh, it's a lot of fun. Well, fun. It's it's so weird. Like it's yeah, it's a, such is, a strange I don't know if experience. Fun's the word, but it's I enjoyed watching the movie. Yeah. Uh, so but yeah, uh, yeah. Editions. Yeah. Editions. Uh, first is Teenagers from Outer Space. Uh, What's where, this about? <laughs> so you got some teenagers, and uh-huh. they're alien teen soldiers, and they they okay. they're coming to Earth because uh, they have they they want to use Earth as a breeding space for these giant lobster monsters that they like to eat. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, and you know they're they're setting up, and this little dog comes up to one of them, and he shoots his ray gun at it and turns it into a skeleton. And then he feels bad about it, and he he romances the girl whose dog it was, and uh, kind of betrays his people, and he has to battle them, and then he has to battle giant lobsters. It's very silly 50s (laughs) sci-fi. Really (laughs) trashy. Right on. Uh, Next is Liza the Fox Fairy, which uh, this is a, I I think it's a Hungarian movie. Uh, uh, This home care worker is haunted by the ghost of a 50s Japanese pop star. Oh, cool. And he's extremely jealous of her attentions. So he turns her into a fox fairy, and this means that anyone who's attracted to her dies horribly. <laughs> oh, that's going to be tough for me. Yeah, that's kind of an interesting one. Uh, next up is Human Lanterns. Uh, this is a horror wuxia, or kung fu thing. Uh, there's it's it's two warring lantern makers and one of them is this villain who kills women and makes lanterns from their flesh and it's a horror wuxia where like it's that plot but with people uh having a bunch of kung fu fights and wire work <laughs> so, nice, nice. Sounds, sounds totally bonkers yeah, uh and last uh, last edition is the immoral three which is our uh next doris wishman uh, where three sisters have a year to avenge their mother's death. Oh. Uh, and it's like to what? to gain oh, their inheritance two. or something, I guess. And like they, yeah, they're they're supposed to kill whoever. Like she's assassinated in some sort of uh, uh, intentional car accident, so they have to hunt down the bad guys. Because I think there's a spy thing involved in it too. Hmm. I'm not clear. It's it's hard to find much information on Wishman films. <laughs> Okay. There's very little description on the back of the desk. Yeah, I just looked at the uh, the page and no, there's not a whole lot. Yeah, it's a very small write-up. So I don't know. I, I looked at a few reviews and it looks zany like the other ones. It's a Doris Wishman joint <laughs> through and through. Cool. But no Chesty Morgan this time. I think she's she, she she has two movies exclusively and they're both the other Doris Wishman films. 
Gotcha. So, uh, what do you figure for our first film next week? We haven't chosen from the stacks in a couple weeks. It has been a bit, hasn't it? Um, so, what I'm thinking is because uh, Jailhouse 41 kind of gave me a bit of like a folklore sort of vibe, mm. I'm leaning towards the uh, the next yokai monsters. Along However, with ghosts. Yes. However... When you mentioned the ultra modernness of the uh, like the architecture when she's murdering the warden, mm. that got me thinking of uh, Tetsuo the Iron Man. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we've got Hiruko the Goblin, I believe, is the next one on there. Yeah, and that's actually an earlier one. It's the one that he did in between the first two Tetsuos. Oh yeah, so he won't. Hmm. Why don't? I, and I don't know which of those two I want to pick. Okay, okay. Do do you have any preference between them? I'm not sure. So, like, yeah, I've been wanting to watch Haruko for quite a while because uh, it's it's the only one. Like, it's one I've missed in oh, the okay. bunch, right? Because like we haven't seen that one, and uh, I have seen the next one, Gemini. And I do think we've been to Yokai Monsters more recently than we've been to uh, Sukamoto. Definitely, because it's uh, higher up on the list. Oh, yeah, right. That's how, that's how that works. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, yeah, you, you can Although really tell. Although it's not as, well, not as far as I difference. thought. But you know what? Sure, let, let's uh, correct the blind spot. Let's do Hiruko the Goblin. All right. So Hiruko the Goblin, uh, uh, return to uh, uh, Tsukamoto, uh, which will be fun. Uh, and uh, following that with Videophobia. So we've got two Japanese movies next week. It's going to be an interesting one next week. Yeah, I think two very different flavors. Uh, Videophobia is a, is a very uh, quiet and contemplative and just sort of weird film. Just strange feeling movie. Uh, and I don't know about Herko the Goblin. I hear it's quite zany. <laughs> All right, it's based, well, we're going to find out. I, I believe it's based on a manga. Which will be interesting. Uh, a Sukumoto with a manga base that's about a goblin living under a school, I think. And I think he guards the gates of hell or the gates of hell are under the school, something like that. Sounds okay. fun. <laughs> sounds oh, cool. like my kind of jam. Yeah, it does. That sounds that sounds interesting. Well, we're gonna we're gonna get into it. Yeah. All right. So any last thoughts this week before we close up? Yeah, how does the song go? You'd think that even though the scorpion sheds blood once a month, that should be enough. That is one of the things they say, yeah. Um, uh, yeah. And Baka. Why did I think I wanted Baca, to end on that note? Baka. I, I love them saying Baka a bunch of times. The the foolish song yes. of vengeance this time. Because I think the first time it's just song of vengeance. This time it is foolish. Baka. Right. All right. Well, uh, thanks, everyone, so much for listening. And remember to check out the fourth precinct for a good massage and a quick piece of ass.